The drive-through is GTM's monthly news episode and is sponsored in part by organizations like hpdejunkie.com, Hooked on Driving, AmericanMuscle.com, CollectorCarGuide.net, Project Motoring, Garage Style Magazine, and many others. If you are interested in becoming a sponsor of the drive-through, look no further than www.gtmotorsports.org. Click About and then Advertising. Thank you again to everyone that supports Grand Touring Motorsports, our podcast, Break Fix, and all the other services we provide. Welcome to Drive Through Episode Number 31. This is our monthly recap where we've put together a menu of automotive, motorsport, and random car adjacent news. After some minor technical difficulties. <laughs> Are you guys ready for this? Yes, I can now fully concentrate on my unpreparedness that my technical difficulties are resolved. All you did was buy time so Brad could read the articles this month. And you know how many articles I read? Zero. How many more is that than usual? Bingo. Now, let's pull up to window number one for some news. Just news. Just news? That's it. All we have is news. Well, we've got news about some of the stuff we've been doing. Let's talk about Rolex. Oh, yeah, let's do that. I'm not talking about the watch, although the watch is involved. I mean, like the actual race, the Rolex 24-hour race in Daytona. It has been five years since we have been to Rolex in person, although we religiously watch it every year regardless of what's going on. This is the first time we've been there on purpose, right? (laughs) In person. This is also Tanya's, if I'm remembering correctly, her first official professional race attendance endurance race sports car race not professional because i've been to f1 twice well that's true endurance that's right endurance specifically and and let's get her thoughts florida side no just kidding (laughs) they'll be talking about florida man no it was fun i think it's more accessible is probably the first word that comes to mind more accessible to someone versus Having had the experience multiple times of going to a Formula One race where now the tickets are even way more expensive than when I ever went, and then you're there for such a brief time, you don't get access to anything. This is the complete opposite where basically if your feet can take you there, you can go there. And it's way more affordable in terms of ticket price and what that's granting you access for. And even if you went all out on everything that you could get access for, it still pales in comparison to a Formula One ticket. I don't know how that compares to NASCAR or other forms because I've never been to a NASCAR race either. But it was definitely an interesting experience. I will say what I didn't expect was the car show that was happening at the same time. Oh, in the paddock? In the paddock parking lots and even like the parking lot outside of the venue. It was like everybody came from somewhere, tons of different out-of-state tags or, you know, different specialty place. They pulled their garage queens out of the garage and took them for a stroll to Daytona. That's aside from marks that had specific corrals, like the Porsche corral, BMW had a corral and et cetera, et cetera, where they're showcasing you know, members' cars and whatnot. But still, like, if you were just walking around the parking lots, people had some pretty cool stuff. 
And so I wasn't expecting that. I didn't know that was a thing, but that was pretty cool. So there's a whole other experience of not just watching the race, but car watching as you walk through the infield and around the outside. I always feel like events like Rolex, Petite, Salins, other ones that we've been to, it's more family feeling because even when you wander around the infields or the outfields, like places like Road Atlanta, there's people everywhere. They're camping all over the place, bonfires, parties. I mean, the longer the race, the more chaotic it is. But you don't get that same experience, like you said, in an F1 race that's 90 minutes and it's over. I mean, there's other races that happen, you know, headliners and things like that that go on at those other races, but it's very different in that endurance IMSA setting. Yeah, those other races, because I normally have like Porsche Cup races or vintage races, blah, 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 and like the Saturday before Formula One and or in the morning. Those go by really quick too. They're 45 minute hour races or something. It's like, okay, by the time you've found your seat and sat down, it's like half the race is over. Because it's a lot harder, well, at least the Austin track, it's a lot harder to kind of navigate around. You know, Tanya mentioned how the track was very accessible, much more accessible than, say, Austin. But dare I say, it wasn't really, from a walking standpoint, it was kind of one way in, one way out to get to the infield, which is kind of frustrating. Basically, if you're on one end of the track, you've got to basically walk all the way around the entire infield to get to the outfield or to get to the stands and vice versa. So if you do decide to go to Rolex Daytona, make sure you bring your walking shoes with you because you're going to need them. Or take the trams. Or take the tram with 15 million other people that are doing the exact same thing. It's pretty simple to navigate around Daytona and it's a 24-hour race. So there's always something going on. So there's always something to see. And the visibility of the track is pretty good from multiple spots you're always with the action so to speak that helps that there's zero elevation change at daytona (laughs) (laughs) yes you are the elevation change when you're in the grandstands the elevation change was like walking through the tunnel to like go under the oval and come back out the other side From that perspective, you're right. Daytona plus the infield, it's a pretty simple configuration compared to something more challenging like the Glen or Road Atlanta. But still, the experience when you go to those other tracks is very similar. Though those races are shorter, the support races are quite long. I mean, well, let's take Watkins Glen as an example. The official race is six hours long, but the Tioga Downs race is four hours. So you're there in the day for 10 hours of GT racing even though, it, you know, they're not consecutive, it's just different groups running throughout the day. And then there's the other support races and headliners that go with that. So IMSA events are just action packed from sunup to sundown in some cases, <laughs> multiple times over. You can't knock the value for money. No, it was like, um, what, 75 bucks for the tickets? $75 for how many hours of actual legitimate yeah. racing? Yeah, It's ridiculous. On top of that, this year was the biggest field in Rolex history in like the longest time, 61 cars started on grid. Amazingly enough, Daytona is so big, it didn't feel like we were watching cars on the beltway running around and getting in each other's way. And obviously traffic splits up throughout the day and throughout the evening and conditions change and things happen and cars break. But it was pretty exciting to see everybody mixing it up. And obviously we have new classes, new cars, new everything. I felt the racing personally, it was like a long test weekend because there were so many breakages, so many new cars. Some of the cars, I think, were a little disappointing and maybe they'll get better throughout the season, especially as we get closer to Le Mans. I'm not as familiar with that whole balance of power thing or balance of performance, excuse me, whatever you want to call it. It was just 
often frustrating to watch because to watch lap after lap of go Iron Dames, the all-female team driving the Lamborghini Huracan, to watch that car lap after lap not be able to get around a 911. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. When in real life, that Huracan would destroy that 911. After other conversations, Tanya was very disappointed in the lack of a manual transmission in any of the vehicles. Um, (laughs) That's been a while since they've had manuals in those cars. What the hell kind of race cars are these? What's the point? They don't even shift their own gears. Exactly. We need another point of failure. Maybe we should throw some amateurs out there. It would make the racing more interesting. You miss a shift. I mean, you've blown that lap, right? And somebody gets around you. That is frustrating. That's what we complain about a lot. Complain is a strong word, but I have an issue with it. I mean, some people like it. Balance of power is great for television, but I feel as though, you know, interviewing drivers over the course of this last season and talking to other people, the consensus often seems to be that, you know, A, it's out of their control. The sanctioning bodies make all those decisions, but it's not racing as racing was intended to be years ago. It's like, if your car can't compete, Build power to weight or whatever, build a better mousetrap when it comes down to it. It hampers innovation and the technological leap. And I guess that's where racing series like F1 and IndyCar come into play because they do have those less restrictions and they don't have a balance of performance and stuff like that. It's a giant BOP because they're basically spec races. All formula cars are the same. We're going to talk about them more when we talk about the unveiling of the 2023 cars and stuff. And the Indy cars are the same. It's like, eh, it's two chassis and, you know, two motors and everybody basically drives the same car. So sports car is always been grounded in the manufacturers are coming to the table to do battle with one another. But as soon as balance of power became what it is today, I think we lost some of, to your point, Brad, that ingenuity, that imagination. Like I've joked before, you don't see the six-wheel Tyrrells and the Chaparrals with the fans on the bottom. With the front-wheel drive Nissan. Exactly. All that stuff is just gone, you know? Watching the Corvette C8, I'm not really impressed with that car. I'm a Corvette, a team Corvette fan, but I'm not really impressed with the C8R. Bring back the C7R. Although I will say... The pit crew was doing a phenomenal job. The car would get passed two or three times by the Aston Martin, kept getting around them. And then they'd pull into the pits at the same time. The Corvette was consistently out in front of the Aston Martin every single pit stop. So the pit crew was on point, but the car itself just could not hold it. Disappointing. I will say it's more fun to watch on TV with a group of friends sitting around smoking and joking, as they say. But one thing I do love about the IMSA series is the speed differentials between the classes. The prototype one, the prototype two cars, the fact that they're after, what is it, three or four laps, they're lapping the GT cars is insane. And they're all out there racing together. It's just phenomenal. Coverage on TV is better, right? They're giving you all the angles, but you can't really fathom the closing rates you know, the braking speeds into the corners, things like that. When you see it live and the sound itself, we've talked about that before, a totally different experience. Speaking of the sound, something was missing this year. And I think you know exactly what it was. Yeah, it was the other Corvette and the Corvette's old motor. Yes, the C7R, the sound of the earth ripping itself apart, trying to stay together when the Corvette pounds down the road. It was just gone we used to say that the lexus sounded as good and the mercedes sounded as good correction the mercedes sounds better no 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 no, no. see that's where you're wrong but i digress so the c7r was missing 
I think some of the LMP, whatever the the top class LMDH, the GTP cars. Some of the the LMDH cars sounded really really good, but they still didn't have that pounding on your chest, right? You know, really throaty, nice growl. So I miss the C7R sound, which is a big part of going to these races. As you mentioned, the auditory feelings and everything you get. The faster cars, yes, the speed differential is insane. The flashing of the lights when you're coming up on traffic. Uh, It's so annoying. If I was a GT car driver, I would purposefully sit in the middle of the road and make you fucking go around me at the worst part of the corner. You're going to sit there and flash me. The restarts. For no reason in the last two hours of the race, three hours of the race. That's new too, right? The way they're doing restarts now where they've adopted the whole NASCAR idea. SRO does this too, where they're re-gridding. Dude, we lost how many laps watching them re-grid up and then go to green again? And then it was like, oh, we haven't had any action for a while. Let's throw a yellow. (laughs) Well, not even that. It was also because the Porsche uh, LMDH car was trying to catch up. So I'm sensing a bit of portion imsa collusion forever unclean one of my favorite parts of the race was after every yellow and after every restart the safety car coming around out of the bus stop would floor it and you can see it just kind of take off and it was like god damn that mccann has some legs on it holy shit so i was pretty impressed with both the ct the blackwing and the uh the mccann or whatever the mccann turbo or cayenne mm-hmm. whatever it was they were ripping coming out of the final turn that was always fun to watch The checkers outside the track was greater than the concessions inside. That was good value for money, actually. That was good eats. Great value for money, yeah. The weather was phenomenal. I think this is the first year that the weather was clear the entire race. And warm, too. It was actually very, very pleasant. I don't think it got any lower than 55, 50, 55, even at night. It was really nice. Would you do it again? And if the answer is no, would you consider a different IMSA race? Both. (laughs) I would do it again, and I would go to a different one. Maybe VIR, the Glen, Mid-Ohio. I'm hoping to go to VIR myself (laughs) with my car. (laughs) I need a new shirt. (laughs) As you mentioned, there were way more people than 2018. So that did kind of take away for me from the experience because we didn't get to do as much as we had in 2018 because there was just too many people to wade through. I did say that it's better to watch on TV with a bunch of friends, but I do want to go again and actually stay in the infield and camp just once. Yeah, I think that would be I feel like that could add to have a home base actually in the infield to go to and from, I think would make the experience a little bit better on site. Do you see the appeal of endurance sports car racing now, now that you've seen it in person versus on TV? I don't know that I needed to see it in person. (laughs) Right. It's not that I was unaware of this discipline of racing or have never seen it before. Road racing tends to be far more interesting sometimes because the top prototype cars aside, the lower class, it's like it's an I-11, it's a Mercedes, it's a Lexus. I can relate to these cars. Like even a Hurricane, technically you could relate to it, but that's a little bit out of my price bracket, right? That's what makes road racing a little more interesting because it's like, ooh, look at that Audi A4. Yeah. I have an Audi. I don't, but I have an Audi A4. I have this BMW, right? Versus like Formula One. It's like, I don't have a fucking Formula car. (laughs) (laughs) You know? And then it's like NASCAR is like, okay, yeah. And I don't have a NASCAR. And okay, because it says Camry on the front. Ain't no Camry. That's like that Supra that they have in NASCAR now. I don't, uh, that has no relation to the real thing. That's all I'm saying. But yes, I hope that as more people, you know, maybe shift their attention or maybe getting bored of other disciplines that they 
turn their eyes to endurance sports car racing, because to your point, it is really relatable and it's really exciting too. I look forward to the rest of the season. I mean, obviously I'm looking forward to Le Mans. I'll be, you know, recording from France and things like that while I'm there. So I'm super excited to be at the crown jewel of sports car endurance racing this year. So looking forward to more on that, but we do have to move on. We have to talk about some other things that happened in the last month. I know we've covered this in another special episode that people can tune into on our Patreon, but some quick thoughts on the DC Auto Show. Well, that about wraps that up. And if you want to know the full report, you can check it out for free on our Patreon. I just want to say I went to the Richmond International Auto Show this weekend. (laughs) Oh, man. Because we're kind of in the market for a larger vehicle to replace her pilot. If the DC Auto Show is womp, 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 the Richmond Auto Show was... The DC Auto Show, to retract my statement, was actually the Toyota Auto Show. Yeah, 100%. Oh, nice. If you were looking for a Toyota, you needed to be at that show. They had every model possible and then some on display. And if you were tired of Toyota, you could go look at all the Hyundais. Toyota had probably 20% of the entire area, which unlike the DC Convention Center, the Richmond Convention Center is one floor. Toyota had 50% of one whole convention room area. Yeah, that's crazy. See, I did try and sit in a Supra and one thing that really grinds my gears about these auto shows is they disconnect the batteries. So all these vehicles with power seats, they have them set to someone Eric or Tanya's size, the person that moved them into the the arena. So someone like me who wants to put the seat all the way back and, you know, get in and fiddle with things, every car in the place is uncomfortable because I cannot adjust any of the seats. I thought there was a solution to this. It's like police academy. You just come up and rip the seat out and you sit in the back seat. Isn't that how you do it in every car? I totally think I broke the third row seat of this Toyota Sienna that was allegedly sold to somebody. So (laughs) if you're listening to this, you know, I hope it's covered under warranty. I'm sorry. Speaking of Hyundais, we got to see a new one that we actually wasn't even on our radar and they call it the Ioniq 6. And so we had some choice opinions about it, maybe some choice words if you want to really summarize it down. It looks like a Saab. It looks like a Saab 900 from the 80s, and you'll never convince me otherwise. But what was shocking was the other day, I spotted a commercial with all people, Kevin Bacon, talking about how he loves his Ionic 6. And it includes his daughter, which I don't know what her name is, but the punchline of the commercial was, you know, Ev, like Kev. What? (laughs) Yeah, I don't understand. You know what this car looks like to me? It looks like the Oldsmobile Aurora (laughs) with that giant swooping cabin. At first glance, John Capisi and I from Project Motoring, we came down the stairs and we said, what is that 911 looking thing? And then when you saw it in profile, you're like, that's a Saab 900 turbo. But no, the reason I bring up commercials is because other things that happened in parts of the world where they don't care about things that go vroom, vroom, vroom. They go Omaha 43, hut, hut, hut. We're talking about the Super Bowl and the commercials therein. So let's get your guys recap on the 2023 automotive Super Bowl commercials. I have to be completely honest with you. I watched exactly 15 minutes of the Super Bowl before I was asleep. Was that the Rihanna part? I missed the halftime show completely. (laughs) 
watched. I watched one possession for each team, and that was it. Then I was done. That's all you needed. So I can't really speak to any of these commercials. So there was a bunch. I mean, obviously, there's lists out there that have every commercial that was designed for the Super Bowl that aired before, during, and after. But they're specifically car ones, and we've tried to highlight some of those. They come from Kia, Jeep, etc. So why don't we run through some of these really quickly, Tanya, and get your thoughts on the commercials. It felt like there were less car commercials in general than in past years, or maybe they were not quite as impactful in general. I I don't know. They felt different. The main hitters that are usually there were missing. So maybe that's what kind of made the whole thing feel a little off in terms of the commercial experience when watching the Super Bowl. Last year was the one with Eugene Levy and the The Nissan. Nissan Yeah. Yeah. And you always get the Audi ones, which you think is like the next transporter movies coming. Like there's these just kind of epic commercials out there. No. And this time we had Blinky Dad with Kia and Blinky being the little child's baby's pacifier. And this family that's gone somewhere in the mountains and then gets to the hotel and realizes that baby's missing Blinky and dad takes off in the Kia Telluride X-Pro all-terrain edition, super all-wheel drive SUV and he's tearing through the mountains and I forget if he's going across dirt snowed roads and hills and all this stuff. And at the bottom, there's a disclaimer that says professional driver on a closed course, do not attempt at home. No, the disclaimer (laughs) says don't drive your Telluride off-road, it will break. Like, (laughs) Like, is this actually meant? to be some Bronco whatever or Jeep Wrangler that can handle all this? I don't know. I mean, they had it shooting out of a cement. Like the Italian job? Water pipe launching out of it. I'm like, yeah, launch your Kia. See what happens. It is a cool looking truck. Don't get me wrong. But yeah, I don't think it's marketed as like trail rated, rugged, off-roader, you know, substitute for other brand here. But yeah, the Binky Dad thing, I don't know. Will Ferrell was back again for like the third year in a row peddling some EV from General Motors. He was peddling all the EVs from General Motors. I like this commercial because it was the GMC whatever version because that's how much I pay attention to GMC pickup trucks. I thought it was funny because it was GMC EVs and Netflix and so he was driving through different Netflix TV shows so there was The Walking Dead, there was Squid Game, there was Bridgerton, there was Stranger Things, there's like characters, actors, actresses from the actual like episodes that are like cameoing in here because in the beginning he gets bit by a Walking Dead zombie, in the end he is a zombie driving the EV are they trying to tell you something because i've said that about driving hondas for a long time (laughs) did you become numb yeah exactly they followed up with the jeep electric boogie commercials they've got variations of that for the 4xe platform you see them now all the time the wrangler and the grand cherokee and you know snow up to their door handles doing 80 miles an hour yeah this one wasn't bad if this one was going through a safari going through the forest going up the mountain things like that it was an upbeat commercial it had the electric boogie woogie music playing so you were happy it had fun animals smiling that whole kind of thing so it was a different tone than some of the other commercials and it was just you know hey look how much fun you're gonna have in our electric jeep you too can smile with giraffes i will say the 4xe commercials the new hybrid jeep platforms do have my interest i am curious to go test drive one to see what the torque is like how it puts down the power how it uses it i mean obviously we're accustomed to the pacifica hybrid and how it functions i am really curious how the jeep works and that kind of stuff so you got my attention 
Stellantis. Speaking of Stellantis, the premature electrification commercial. Mm. It's like one of those pharmaceutical drug commercials for Yes. Yeah. But having these couples talk about how they bought electric trucks and they're always running out of juice and everything. It looks like it has the potential to be an excellent commercial. But does it have our disclaimer? If you suffer from Stellantis for more than four hours, please consult your nearest physician. Probably not. (laughs) This commercial is all about the new Ram 1500 Rev, which they debuted at CES earlier this year and whatnot. So it's like how much better the Ram Rev is going to be in your life versus, you know, everything else. It was a pretty good commercial. So definitely go back and watch it. If it's not named after a prehistoric lizard creature, nobody's going to buy it. And then there was 10. Okay, the only good thing about this movie was the scene of the alpha. And I was like, okay, it's another one. I don't think I saw nine. I don't know if I saw eight. I can't remember. And then 10 going to be two parts. So it's really 10 and 11. Just like five and six were. And if you don't know what we're talking about yet, Fast and the Furious. Yes, I'm excited. Now that's what I call Fast and the Furious 137. Oh yeah, it is going to be like those now CDs. They're just going to go on forever. It's going to be Fast and the Furious 20. And it's going to be that scene from Days of Thunder where... They're racing in the wheelchairs, except they'll be geriatric racing in the wheelchairs. Well, no, now they're bringing in Jason Momoa to replace God knows who. So we'll just keep adding action heroes. It'll become like the Expendables after a while. Okay, I think he's replacing The Rock because The Rock has not been back for like one or two movies. Now. The Rock's too busy making turds like Black Adam. So come on. That's because The Rock and Vin Diesel can't work together. That's yeah, that's the real reason. The Rock and Tay Diggs. They no. got into an argument. Then there's multiple people because there was definitely and beef with the Vin Diesel. I think it all centers around Vin Diesel. (laughs) Just saying. All I'm going to say is I haven't watched Slumberland. Okay, which also stars Jason Momoa, which is based off of the cartoon or comic strip Little Nemo, the kid on the flying bed or whatever. There was original Nintendo game based on it too, blah, blah, blah. I don't know the full story. I don't care. He's in that. And when the first scene of him sitting in the car, I swear to God, I was like, oh my God, it's Slumberland. Except he's like going to race a car. That other movie, Slumberland, that you mentioned, the Little Nemo story, that's going to end up like the Aladdin Sinbad movie from the 90s. I had that thought. It's the Mandela effect. Like we all know it exists. It happened. It was a real thing. There's a trailer for it. And yet there is zero evidence that it ever existed. If you ask Sinbad, he'll tell you. I don't know what you're talking about. It's lies. It's a conspiracy. The evidence is here and now. We've said it. There was a movie, Slumberland, with Jason Momoa. You heard it here first. Based off Little Nemo and the flying bed. There was a commercial that spoke to you. Did you get up out of your chair? Were you cheering at this? Kind of laughed. And not because it's funny to see what was being depicted, but it's just like funny because of all the troubles that they're facing. And who are we talking about, pray tell? Tesla. Oh, shucks. So the thing about this commercial, actually, is it did not air across all states. So this was Maryland and like, I think two or three other states that this actually aired in. So the majority of people didn't see this commercial. That's okay. We have a YouTube link for it. (laughs) And it's this Dawn project. And it's basically the anti-full self-driving, some sort of advocacy group, probably based out of California, since California is actively trying to sue against the false naming of that. And they put together this whole video and they've got like little dummy toddlers and children that like are walking across the street and just get 
run over by Teslas that aren't stopping. Now, I didn't make the video, so I am skeptical I can be. Were they really in full self-driving and didn't see them? Or is there a little bit of BS going on here to paint them in a bad light? I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. There has definitely been other videos of Tesla's doing safety drives and whatnot where they have hit objects that have gone in front of them because they haven't seen them. So it's not out of the realm that this is possible. But then on the other side of the camp, you have all the Tesla people. There's been reports of people literally putting their own children in front of the car and letting it stop. And I'm like, you're a psychopath because you must not love your child because I wouldn't trust anything right now to like not run my kid over. Like, how dumb are you? But anyway, that's intense. I was not expecting this commercial. (laughs) You rejoiced. I'm sure of it. I don't like that it's advertised as something that it's doing something it can't do. Oh, yeah. Just change the name. Oh, our our fans know. I mean, there's a whole retrospective episode (laughs) about this exact topic that you can review. No, I am not part of the Dawn Project. But send her some leaflets. She's definitely interested. No. (laughs) All kidding aside, there are some other honorable mentions on this list. We got to tip our hat to WeatherTech. Obviously, they sponsor IMSA and other racing series out there. So it was one of those, oh, that's sweet moments where they talk about, you know, the factory and made in USA and all that kind of fun stuff. So great. Support WeatherTech. They make good stuff and they support racing. So awesome. The next one was the Uber One jingle. I very much enjoyed this. I thought it was cute. Similar to the YouTube short that's floating out around there about the Windows theme song and how Microsoft got it right. If you've seen that, it's like a Microsoft Azure type of commercial. But there was one other one that was pretty damn awesome. And it goes back to one of our crossover episodes from season three. And that's the T-Mobile John Travolta musical commercial. Garbage. Hot garbage. I heard about this commercial, like there was going to be some John Travolta thing. And I don't know why I had it in my head from what I misheard that it was going to be Saturday Night Fever. And I was totally confused when this commercial was going on because I'm like, this is not Saturday Night Fever. (laughs) What's the two dudes from Scrubs, right? And then Travolta shows up. Yeah, Donald Faison and Zach Braff. Because those two are in a bunch of T-Mobile commercials recently together as neighbors in this neighborhood that they're showing. And then suddenly randomly John Travolta is here i don't know why isn't he moving in yeah. and then they bust out in greece song it made me smile because it made me think of Stephen izzy and the review of trade and paint that we did back earlier in this season so i'm not sure where his spray on hair went though he was bald well he was bald in trade and paint that was a he wig. wore a hat he didn't have hair he had a, like a bad toupee did he yeah i'm gonna pull it up we're gonna pull it up as part of our season three retrospective you're right you're right you're right you're right there was hair it's right on the cover art <laughs> so as we wrap out our showcase let's talk a little bit about season three highlights this is the first time you're dialing in to the show i want to let you guys know this is the last episode of season three officially and it's episode number 82 for season three that's not counting all the bonus material that went out on patreon that won't come out way later maybe in season four at some point so record setting number of episodes for us you know more than one a week for sure we doubled down and tripled down some of the weeks throughout the year just to get content to you guys as fast as we could and there's some really great stuff left to come and i'm sure you guys have some great memories from season three as well i want to start off with one that tanya and i did together which was the zymon episode with Chuck Bennett. Talk about an incredible storyteller and what an epic journey his career has taken. Yes, that was definitely a very fun episode to listen to. The man has a wealth 
of knowledge and experiences. And it's interesting to have heard his story of like where he started in his career and his life and how he switched to Zymol and everything he knows about it. And you got to flex your technical skills too, especially the episode we did with Rick Lee from Evolve and other things like that. So you get invested in different ways in the show too. So it's always a lot of fun. I like the bonus content when he started talking about Ralph Lorenz, Bugatti and mm. Einstein's car and all this kind of these other projects that he worked on. Those were really, really cool too. I mean, just fascinating guy. Again, to your point, wealth of information. And, and again, a great storyteller. I was really fortunate. I did a one-on-one with Barbie the Welder. Her her life's journey is another one that is just like, you just sit in awe and you're like, wow, how she pulled herself up from her bootstraps and how she's become this noted artist in the community. And she is related to the motorsport and vehicle community. She's done work for SEMA. She's done things for Harley Davidson and things like that. So if you've missed that episode, what a great and inspiring story that she told about her life's journey. We were really fortunate this year, just by chance, we met Don Weberg from Garage Doll Magazine, and he introduced us to the world of auctions, classic cars, private collections, this whole idea that he's got that he calls the garage lifestyle. In general, I have to say, Don's been a great addition to our team, and he brings some immediate comedy to every episode that he's on, especially the What Should I Buy episodes. Those are always fun. And those group of folks that have been in some of the more recent add a lot of color to (laughs) the what should I buy? (laughs) I mean, the collector car one, I was telling everybody, it's pretty crazy episode. You're going to have a lot of fun. You know, Don's doing impersonations and Chris and Mark are going at it. And there's, you know, it's great experience. And I know, I know Brad enjoys getting together for each one that we come up with, but the Italian episode, I'm telling you guys right now, if you haven't listened to it, all I got to say is crack pipe. And it literally starts from that point and it goes downhill very, very quickly. (laughs) Absolutely insane episode. I mean, on the other side of that, we had some real superstars. Yes, we have some big names that anyone, you know, remotely tied into motorsports probably would recognize. Andy Pilgrim, Lynn St. James, Randy Lanier, Dennis Gage, John Davis from Motor Week, Kat DeLorean, Bill Warner from the Amelia Island. They all shared their own personal stories. And it's very interesting. Yeah, very inspirational. A lot of them, people wonder, they know these people by name. Well, I know so and so yeah you've seen him on tv or you know john davis we've known him for 42 years he's been on the air for that long dennis gage for almost 30 but do you really know them and when you get to hear their stories and how they became who they are and the steps and missteps that they made along the way i mean it's really really quite amazing so hopefully that sheds some light for other people and there's some other stories out there that are just like that even more tragic in some ways if you look at the epic coming of age stories of pro driver like Andy Lee and then of SRO driver Joey Jordan the fourth who's related to Jim Jordan who's also on the show they take us through their life and Joey especially he goes on this 29,000 mile journey from LA to the tip of South America you know looking at Antarctica in a van that he bought sight unseen from Japan just incredible wild buck wild I mean that's top gear level stuff right there the journey through South America was just buck wild. And he did it mostly by himself, which was risky, but just amazing too. When you listen to everything that he went through on that trip. So Brad and I were super fortunate this year. 
we got to do something pretty cool, right? Yeah, I mean, we were on a crossover episode with Mark Green from Cars, yeah. We double-crossed with Mark. He came on our show. We (laughs) went on his show. I have to say, the crossovers are probably some of my favorite episodes that we do. We had on another podcast, Kate and Nicole from Two Girls, One Formula. They're bringing Formula One to the masses. Mm -hmm. Very popular. Uh, I think more crossovers should be in our future. I I think they're some of my favorite. Those in the What Should I Buys, for sure. Our listeners might not know, but we also do a quarterly with Stephen Izzy from Everything I Learned for Movies, where not only do they review bad movies, they're willing to review bad car movies with us. I was going to say Trading Paint, our EILFM crossover with Stephen Izzy. Crossover episodes with them are always quite enjoyable. They're a fun bunch. If you haven't checked out their podcast episode, it's everything I learned from movies. So it's always a good time with them. The movie itself was going to be <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> Consensus of that review. Uh, but check it out. It's on Netflix. <laughs> so we look forward to getting together with them. Be on the lookout for more between us and everything I learned from movies. But we have to congratulate ourselves. We broke the record. The record was held by Chuck at Zymal for the longest episode it took to get recorded, but that was defeated by the guys over at the Pontiac Aztec Owners Club. Yes, folks, we did it. We said we were going to do it. We finally got Aztec owners on the show to talk about why they love the car, what's so great about it. And Mountain Man Dan and I actually had a lot of fun recording with Paul and John, and that episode turned out fantastically. So if you haven't tuned in for that, I highly recommend it. That was a good episode. I did learn a lot. More than you probably ever wanted to know. More than I thought I needed to know. (laughs) (laughs) But I got to say, my favorite episode is the next episode. Because our episodes just keep getting better and better. We're getting great guests, great stories. Yeah, I think the next episode is always going to be our best episode. You know, that's a good way to put it. I like that. That's very uh, forward thinking, uh, you know. very. <laughs> yeah, it's the thing that gets us to the next thing. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. On that note, one of the other things as I look back over season three, which actually takes us into season four without giving too much away, is our longstanding partnership with the International Motor Racing Research Center. And now in partnership with the Society of Automotive Historians, we're bringing you a new mini series every month, we're going to put out episodes surrounding the history of motorsports. These are coming from different sources, academics, ex-racers, you know, things like that. And it's very fascinating material. A lot of it older things that you were like, I always wondered about that. And so we're really, really fortunate to be partnering with both the IMRC and the SAH to bring you that kind of content and kind of mix things up from our standard fare. So look forward to more of that and a lot of other surprises as we go into season four. If you want to leave us feedback on any of the 82 episodes from season three or anything from prior seasons in our catalog, you can join us very easily on our Facebook group or on our new Discord. All those links are available in the show notes, on our websites, all over the place. We're pretty easy to find. So if you also have ideas for stories that you're interested in us exploring, please don't be bashful. If you have a great story that you want to share, come on the show. It's really easy. You're just sitting down and having a conversation with friends. So if you enjoy what we're doing, let us know. We're not fishing for compliments, but it's always good to hear from our fans, you know, what they're interested in so that we can dig a little bit deeper. And as always, if you really, really enjoy the show and you want to help us out, drop us a cup of coffee over on Patreon. He's talking to you, Mark Hewitt. <laughs> that said, it's time we move on to Volkswagen, Audi, and Porsche news. So, what's on the docket this month? Or should I say, who's no longer working there? 
apparently their design chief got the boot. Oh, you're out of here. He designed one of your new favorite cars, as you told us about from CES. I don't know what they're thinking. Well, obviously they're thinking that the ID buzz isn't all the buzz right now. But Tanya wants one. Everybody I've talked to that's seen it says the same thing. That's super cool. I want to buy one. It was really cool to see in person. I hope to see them on the road. Feel like Volkswagen does this every time they tease us with something. And then everybody goes, that's really cool. I will line up like it's the Apple store in 2005 for the next iPhone to buy this thing. And then they never produce the thing that we want. Then we get the next Passat that looks like it was made from cardboard and X rental cars. Exactly. Exactly, because the headline of this article from Haggerty is Volkswagen design chief ousted over retro designs replaced by Bentley design lead. So he was fired because he's trying to do retro redesigns? Hello? That's what sells. That is the thing right now. That's what a lot of us now who maybe are in a better financial position to buy another car or something kind of want because you're going back to stuff that we wanted to obtain. In the first place. In the first place when we were first starting to drive, but it was like, oh, you can't because they're unobtainium or they're going to be, you know, piles and rust buckets and pieces of crap that you guys sink a lot of money into. And it's like, now I could have like this kind of modern day, all the bells and whistles retro feel to it, but we're going to get rid of that. Because again, I'm saying, how dumb are you? The Beetle, again, which is like every time it's just a retro of itself, I guess. I don't know, but like an electric Beetle. Oh my God. How easy is this? Nope. We're going to replace that with the guy that brought you the Bentiaga, a stupid car with a stupid name. And a stupid design. Right? How could you ruin a Q7? <laughs> it's yeah, like... It looks terrible. I feel like there's a space for the retro stuff. It doesn't all need to be vanilla that they all just look like Passats. Even Toyota is taking a step away from that. The new Prius is actually starting to look like a normal car. Then they have the Crown and some other EVs and things like that. It's like if Toyota's making him look more normal. Well, I don't, that's a stretch to say look more normal. <laughs> I'm not... <laughs> I'm not sure some of those design lines were all that great, but they are definitely differentiating. Like that crown did not look like a Corolla. Definitely not. You know, even them, they've kind of gotten into like the Camion Corolla. It's like until it passes you on the road, you're not sure which one it is sometimes from like mm-hmm. the front end. We had that period in Volkswagen too, where the Passat and the Jetta and the Golf, they all just look the same. I, I believe it was the Mark V period. <laughs> And the Mark IV period. No, the Jetta was square in the front. Yeah. So the Jetta looked nothing like the Golf. Although you could interchange all the parts. They looked nothing yeah. like each other. It is a sad day in Volkswagen history because this month signifies the end of an era. As Volkswagen moves deeper into electrification, that means there is no more room for motors like the venerable VR6. My heart is broken, let me tell you. Did you know that the VR6 has now officially been around for 30 years? Started in the early days as a lowly 12-valve 2.8 liter and now exits with over 300 horsepower out of 3.6 liters naturally aspirated. A hell of an engine, a hell of a sounding engine. It's been in just about everything. When you look at the article that we're talking about here that was put together by The Drive, it's astounding the number of cars that they put the VR6 in. Some of them carrying badges like Porsche. So you think, oh, I got this mighty six-cylinder in here, and it's actually a VR6 in your Cayenne or whatever it is. The VR6, great engine, sad to see it go. I understand why they're sunsetting it, but maybe in the future... 
who knows? Maybe the VR6 will come back. It is a engineering marvel in the fact you can put an engine that big in such a tight space. I'm just glad to have been able to nab one. Oh, the price of all VR6s just went through the roof. Yep. <laughs> now they're $2, Bob. I got 50. Well, (laughs) we talked about this before, and I feel like we're in the middle of this weird Grateful Dead Rolling Stones unending farewell tour. Here we go. Lamborghini. Once again, we have another car that is going to be the ultimate final car with a v12 it was supposed to be some other aventador this that and the other thing i can't even keep them all straight anymore and now we have invincible and autentica yes and i'm like no one cares and i don't like the way it looks (laughs) how is this different than our hurricane i feel like we're back to the 80s where they only make one car for 20 years at a time and then you know the next one will come out how many years has it been since jeremy clarkson did that vignette on the aston martin that he drove where he said this is the end of an era the end of the big v12 yeah i mean like i said this feels like a farewell tour that's never going to end everybody keeps talking about the last of the v12s and all this kind of stuff especially lamborghini here we are all over again and it's never going to end because people keep buying them yeah exactly So they keep trying to find ways to sell them and offset their carbon credits. And no better way to stir up buzz and get people interested than to say, this is it. This is the end. This is the last one we're going to make until the next one we make. Then that's going to be the last one we're ever going to make. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a terrible sales paradigm there. I don't care about this car. All I care about from Lamborghini right now, and usually I don't resonate with his designs, is the Magnus Walker redesigned Countach. It looks so good. He put out another rendering the other day with a Marlboro livery on it from like the old school Formula One days, not the Marlboro F1, which was, you know, Senna has anything to do with Lamborghini, but it looked damn good. So, I mean, whatever, Lambo, you do you. That being said, it's time for some news from Lower Saxony. Why? Why not? <laughs> I don't care about either of these brands. Let's move on. Wow. Well, <laughs> which you know is really what? sad because I used to love Mercedes. Some of our listeners might still care. I, I mean, I care a little bit. Does it have two doors and a swooping rear end? I mean, then you have my attention, Mercedes. Or is it a wagon? What? Well, yes. Mercedes is good as those two things. The SLS GT model series there, the coupe. And the wagons, 100%, yeah. Well, anyway, the latest Mercedes news, aside from whatever their latest model is going to be, EQ, this, that, and the other, I think they're even actually changing their platform name and dropping that whole EQS thing. I'm not sure what they're going with. Because it's dumb. (laughs) I mean, it was weird, but... It's fine. Their cars are getting more techy, essentially. Of course, they have to, to compete against the Teslas of the world, and also probably to work out all their subscription models that we've talked about in the past. That's not what this is about. You know, this is about higher computing power in the electronics. I think they've already been partnered with NVIDIA for a while. But the latest partnership that was announced, which isn't all that new for this entity, because they've already partnered, I think, with the likes of Ford and others. Google is coming to a Mercedes near you. No. Womp, womp, womp. Specifically, it's their navigation that they want to embed in, in the navigation system. So Google Maps... For you. Because Audi and BMW have the lock with Garmin, so we got to go with somebody else, right? I mean, that's how that works. I mean, I trust my Google overlords, so fine. 
No, thank you. <laughs> They've no, never driven you. me into a lake. So, <laughs> although I did hear a report of apparently some dude's dr- driveway got labeled as a road and people are legit turning on it <laughs> with like navigation <laughs> systems. <laughs> Must have been in Florida. <laughs> That's awesome. And then there's some news from BMW. Which might be some good news. They're already talking about their 2024 models, specifically the new X5M and X6M. And they're kind of expanding their hybrid models a little bit. Because right now they only have like four. So they're going to add hybrids to these as well. So that's kind of exciting. That's good. Hybrid compromise between gasoline and being full electric. But I think the more interesting thing is the facelift or rather nose job (laughs) that these two have gotten. Because the grills are not as monstrous. So they've toned them down a little bit. They're still pretty heinous. I think the other duct work that's going on in the lower part of the bumper now is distracting maybe. Have you seen the guy that mounted like the X7 grills to an E36? He redid the whole front end. It looks ridiculous. Let me guess. It's taller than the height. No, it's literally the whole height of the front end. The hood to the bottom of the balance. It looks insane. (laughs) I got to give him props for one thing. Massive cooling. There is no excuse for getting air into that radiator at that point. Well, you know what, guys? Here we are closing out season three. We have to just bask in the awesomeness of this next segment. Complete silence. From Stellantis. Let's take a moment. I mean, that's not mm, true. Not necessarily. We had the electric boogie woogie. That doesn't right? count. It doesn't we count. had the uh, premature electrification. Doesn't count. Though it does count. <laughs> you know what the recent news is, though? Their stock price has gone up and they've had record profits most recently. So that is actually the latest. So they're doing quite well. Well, we can shift to what's left of our domestic news brought to us by AmericanMuscle.com, your source for OEM performance parts for your Mopar, Ford, or Chevrolet product. Did you guys know that a Camaro is less expensive to lease right now than one of Tanya's least favorite cars on the face of the earth? The Malibu. Would you do it? If my choice is anything with a Camaro or Malibu, Camaro. (laughs) Are you sure? About I mean, that? if my choice is anything other than Impala versus Malibu, it's going to be anything. <laughs> <laughs> Brad, would you lease a Camaro? I'm not really in the leasing period, but to Tanya's point, anything is greater than a Malibu. I would lease a Camaro versus renting a Malibu. <laughs> <laughs> but when I read between the lines, what this says to me is, the Camaro's not doing well. Aren't they getting rid of it? Yeah, isn't this the last year? Ding, ding, ding. To try to get them out the door, now we have to lease them because we can't unload them quick enough. And also, like we saw at the DC Auto Show, they were really touting the Camaro convertible, which seemed not necessarily a first for that body style, but it just seemed like we hadn't seen the Camaro convertible in a while. And the same is true of the Challenger, right? Dodge is putting out a convertible now in the last set of the production run, which sort of boggles my mind because it costs extra to get that through safety and the tooling for the convertible and all the extra stuff they had to come up with. And I'm like, this is craziness. So would I lease a Camaro? Well, I wouldn't lease anything. I'm with you, Brad. I mean, that reasons and seasons for doing that. Right. But if that was my only choice, maybe just maybe. Is walking an option? (laughs) Ah. Walking is always an option. I mean, it seems to be the option at Ford. 
because they just reported $2 billion. That's billion with a B, like the show with Paul Giamatti, billion dollar loss because chips. Uh, that's not a good thing. I did pass a lightning on the road today, so they do exist in the wild. Although I was wondering if something was wrong with it, because I swear it had like his, his hind legs were up. I was like, what is this thing doing? <laughs> it was raked. My wife passed a Rivian today and she texted me and she goes, what is a Rivian? And then that led to an explanation, which ended with her going, huh. It should have led to a question. Why do you not listen to the show? <laughs> season three is full of Rivian. Full yes, of Rivian. it's the Rivian season. Because chips, like we've been talking about for over a year now, there's still supply chain issues. There's still this and that. But the Mach-E... As cool as it can be, despite the name, it is a pretty cool car. Prices are the problem. $50,000 for an entry-level vehicle is a hard pill to swallow for most people. So I can understand why sales are down. And then if you're not in the economy car market, you're interested in buying the latest F-150, You know, not even talking about the Lightning. I mean, these trucks are out of control. Who's got $70,000, $90,000 to spend on these trucks? You can't think of it like that, though. You got to think of it more like who's got $1,200 to spend on it a month or $1,500 a month because you can get the financing for any of that stuff. Well, that's true. I mean, we got a letter in the mail even today where Chrysler was like, if you trade in your car for a brand new one, your new payment is only $121 more than the last one. And I'm like, are you out of your freaking mind? It's already bad enough as it is. I do like the way that the article starts out by saying that General Motors and Tesla both recorded record profits in 2022. Well, Tesla's been reporting record profits for years now, and I still don't understand how that math works, except for the carbon credit part that we've already covered several times. Right, 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 right. Chevy's on the up. Maybe it's the truck divisions that are really where the numbers are coming to play, because other than the Camaro and the Malibu, as we saw at the auto show, they don't have anything, right? So they're not the selling Cor- cars. The Corvette. I mean. The Corvettes are thirty dollars to $40,000 more than they used to be. So let's talk about that for a second. I want to go back to our special DC Auto Show episode where we talked about this and we speculated about, even last month, the Corvette SUV and the four-door. So here we go. Cadillac Blackwing becomes the Corvette sedan. And the Blazer SS becomes a Corvette SUV. Although you guys saw the latest spy pictures that lifted Corvette SUV thing. And it I, was I, it was a rendering. It, it wasn't, wasn't. Yeah, yeah, good. whatever. It wasn't a real car, but still, I was just like, it's still a blazer with the Corvette nose and tail on it. Whoop-de-doo. It looks like a bowler bobcat or whatever. Exa- exactly, exactly. A beat across. In reality, what General Motors is going to do is rebadge those other two cars, the Blazer SS and the Blackwing, and those will have Corvette badges and a Jake on the side and the whole nine yards, and that's the end of that. Fine, whatever. But overall, I think the car market is just down. We're in a weird transition period. New cars are what they are. Like Tanya said, the design language right now, when we look back 20 years from now, I don't know what we're going to think. Well, the cost of everything's up. You shouldn't be out buying a car for the sake of buying a car unless you absolutely have to because your current car does no longer function or it's irreparable, right? Like right. to just willy-nilly be like, I feel like a new car today. It's sunny. Hey, like, man, that was the 2000s when the stock market was strong. Those days are gone. That is not the days right now. So these EVs cost significantly more than a Kia, Toyota Corolla. 
And like, what are you getting for that? Cool to say you have an electric vehicle. If you're going out to buy a car just for no reason, but I'm going to just replace my car that still runs that I've paid for, blah, blah, blah. I don't know that you're ever going to break back even spending $80,000. I don't care what the cost of the electric ferries is to fill the pixie dust in your car. That's a huge chunk of money to break back even on. Like the price of gasoline has to go astronomical. Well, the price of electricity has also like basically doubled because of everybody, you know, consuming more electricity and it costs more to generate more. So it's a lose-lose situation the way I look at it, you know, without getting into all the details, it's like, is it cheaper to produce fuel than it is to produce electricity? But then obviously there's the, you know, the environmental impact of all that. I mean, it's just, it's craziness. I still hold true and I've said it throughout the course of this season, hybrid is the way to go. Hopefully we'll see more of that as we go along. You know, maybe the tides will turn synthetic fuels. You know, we talked about it earlier this season with Porsche, you know, things like that. So, you know, the sky is still the limit from a technology perspective, but what we're still missing is standardization. We don't have that model T of EVs and maybe, maybe Ford will come up with that car. You know, they can regain that title, but who knows? They better. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. If they want to stay in business, they better. You need a mixed bag. They say if you're doing your financial investments, it's good to diversify, right? Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Well, Gotta diversify my portfolio. Why we all have to, it's either light switch, gasoline, diesel, or electric. One or the other, nothing in between. Well, it depends on different strokes for different folks. There's times if you can afford an $80,000 EV and you live in the city and you go three mile commute or barely use your car, that might make perfect sense. And you have charging stations everywhere. If you're out in rural America and you're driving 70 miles to go to work, it probably doesn't make sense, but a a hybrid or a traditional ICE does. So we'll see how this all plays out. Maybe they, the powers that be have it right. And there is only one to rule them all. I don't think so. I don't think so either. There was another article that came across my desk that made me pose the question yet again, how is this still a thing? Honda is still dealing with Takata airbag recalls. And these aren't on the old cars. These are on newer cars. How have they not nipped this in the bud yet? It feels like this has been going on for forever. The problem is, so if this was GM, they wouldn't have this problem because their cars don't run that long. But this is Honda where they made the mistake of making a vehicle that can run for longer than 20 years. So now the vehicles are outliving the useful life of their components, a.k.a. the uh, the death airbags, <laughs> the mortars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the claymores. Yeah, the claymore mines, yes. What you said reminds me 100% of that meme that was floating around about all the Camry owners from like 1996, how Toyota was recalling them because they've been on the road for too long. It's like, buy something else. They're unstoppable. And to your point, they're just so understressed. Not necessarily that they're well-built, it's that they're understressed, those cars are. And so they just last forever. But- there's the neglect side of that, right? They run forever. Nobody takes care of them. Because you don't have to. Yeah, because you don't have to. It's like a lawnmower. As long as it starts and cuts your grass, you even sharpen the blade. I mean, what the hell's wrong with you? So that's a waste of time. The grass is cut. In this instance, I mean, this Takata thing is just, man, but they issued a do not drive warning to 8,200 owners. I mean, that's pretty severe. Now, that seems to be the growing trend with recalls these days. Everything is do not drive park it in a target parking lot and run away throw a molotov in the window and just bolt no just light a candle (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. like that florida man whatever speaking of 
how is this still a thing? We're going to talk about this freaking Hyundai again for like the sixth or seventh month in a row. The N74 concept. They are playing the hokey pokey. One minute it's in, one minute it's out. It's a rolling lab. No, it's not. It's a concept. No, it isn't. And here we are again. Well, they didn't say they're going to make it. They just said that they're not possibly going to make it. They put a price tag on it. (laughs) They've estimated what they think this hydrogen hybrid electric, whatever this thing is. I nearly had an aneurysm when I saw the price tag. And it will not be affordable by anybody. Yeah, what what they did is they threw out an FU number. So they've been yeah, listening right? to the critics. The critics have been saying, oh, you got to make it, you got to make it, you got to make it. And they're like, all right, all right, we're going to make it. And if we make it, this is the cost. If UMFers want this car, this is what it's going to cost you. You know what? This might be a bold strategy, Cotton, because I bet there's going to be some rich people that are be like, hell yeah, sign me up. We're in kind of pre-order. And then and they should just be like, hell yeah, here, here's three of them. <laughs> and then it'll depreciate faster than a Veloster. So the rest of us can afford one. Yeah. So, so what they're doing is they're doing the Tesla model where they take on all these deposits and then they're like, oh, then we'll produce a car for you in five years. You can have it in five years. 150 G's is a big pill to swallow for anything, but I think it's even harder to swallow on a Hyundai. That would be the most expensive Hyundai ever. All they have to do is just take the body and put it on like a Genesis Coupe, a Genesis or something. It's built on top of a Stinger, but the Stinger's on its way out. Who cares? Put that body on a Stinger and people will buy it. Okay. It doesn't need to have NASA propulsion in it. No, it doesn't. It's like Mr. Fusion in that thing, right? So uh. Factory Five, stop making replica Cobra Roadsters and start making replica N75 cars. If it was 50 G's, not 150 G's, if it was <laughs> 50 grand and out now with the Nissan, which we're not sure if that's out yet either, and the Supra and everything else, I would really consider it because it is so cool because everything's so expensive that 50 grand price point you can kind of make it work for a sports car if you're dedicated and you're an enthusiast but $150,000 you're in Porsche territory at that point or low end Ferrari territory i mean you better have a killer car it can't be all looks that's all i'm saying that it looks damn good <sighs> well what about other evs and concepts tanya our friends at volvo Polestar. Oh, okay. I was confused. Yes. No. Well, you know, Polestar Volvo, technically. Yeah, so Polestar is unveiling its next model for next year, the Polestar 2, and they're going to be adding even more power and 300 miles of range. And these things are cool. Are they, though? I think so. Are they? The Polestar 1 will eat you That was the one that was at the DC Auto Show, and its numbers are just, like, ridiculous in terms of performance. But it still looks like an S60, though, right? Which I I don't don't have a problem with. I don't have a problem with that. It's it's always the price tag. It's always the price tag. Well, that's the problem. Like, I can't afford a Polestar. You can't afford the Polestar 1. Talk about $150,000. I think it's up there in that neighborhood. Yeah, 150 to 180, I think you were saying. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. 
But I have seen more regular, let's call them entry model pole stars on the road lately. And they kind of catch me by surprise because at first you're like, ah, it's a Volvo. And then you see that symbol right on the back. And you're like, that's, that's a pole star. And at night, they're more obvious because of the way the lights are shaped. They're kind of, they really do stick out, which is kind of cool. They're not offensive looking because they do hark back to the Volvo that they're based on. But again, it's like, uh, you know, maybe, maybe we could just got to drive one. The problem is where do you go to go check one of these cars out i I don't know i've never looked into it i were they the ones that basically like you do everything and they like show up with the car for you i think so and that's a growing trend now and actually segues into something i wanted to talk about which is another article i read the other day i think i believe it was from like grassroots motorsports or one of them and they were talking about dealerships being a thing of the past why do you want to go to the dealership, spend all day when you could just fill out the forms online? You can get the credit pre-applications now for just about everything online, and you could order the car the way you want it. So then the dealerships just become service centers, which people choose not to go to, like we talked about with the Takata airbags. You have your choice. Do you want to take it there to get service? You want to go somewhere else, whatever. But I am personally done with dealing with dealerships. And you know, no offense to the sales guys, everybody's got to make a living. I've said it before, I want what I want. And it would just be nice to use the configurator online. I want those wheels. I want that color. I want that trim. Send it. And it's not necessarily here, run my credit card like it was in the 90s. You know, people are putting houses on their credit cards because it's getting the points and stuff. It's not that kind of thing. But all the loan application stuff can be done online now. I don't get it. So if Polestar is in fact doing it that way, I don't have a problem with it. No. Now, I had a what, what moment when I saw this next one. Why? What do you mean? Who's Lightyear? Why do I care? And they're suddenly out of business. What? We've talked about them before in a previous episode. Who? Well, Buzz? Like, yeah. Sure. I mean, they're like a Dutch company that was trying to do the whole solar panel on the whole top of the car and all that stuff. And it was going to be the solar powered EV. How did that work out for them again? Apparently not very well, because I would imagine their cost of manufacture was way too high and unsustainable. Ah, so the bigger question becomes, who will absorb their technology, their patents, and all the factory that they were using and all that kind of stuff. So that's the thing I want to pay attention to. It's not necessarily the fact that Lightyear is going out of business or... Well, and there's all the whole, that whole bankruptcy whole scene is all right. Ah. Just because they're bankrupt doesn't mean the company closes and who knows how they restructure and then suddenly they're still there. And I I don't know. Because they talk about building cheaper solar EVs than like this... Buick size, like limousine length light year one, it looked like. So I don't know. I have no idea. Well, since you brought up restructuring and bankruptcy and we're not sure how it all works, that leads us to Lotus. (laughs) If you look into the history of one of Britain's finest engineering companies with a long racing pedigree, I mean, all jokes aside about Lotus, there's some interesting stuff in their past, but now they made the announcement that they're going to move to EVs as well. Because I was sort of wondering what was going to happen to Lotus. Lotus has always sort of said, I kind of don't care what everybody else is doing. We're going to build sports cars or race cars or whatever. They've always been focused really on the enthusiasts in motorsports. And here they come with the Elettra. Because everything has to start with E at Lotus for some weird reason. It used to be numbers, you know, type this, you know, Lotus 7, all that kind of stuff. Now we have all E names since, you know, the Eclat and the early cars and the Esprit and all that. So the Elettra. It's Elettra. 
Boogie 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 boogie. I mean, it's built in China. It's ugly. Yeah, that's all I gotta say. It looks like a really bad Urus. I was gonna say it looks like a Urus, and that's not a good thing. No, it doesn't look like a Lotus. It just doesn't. It. Ugh. It's probably a Geely or whatever they're called underneath. It is by the Geely group. Geely bought Lotus six years ago. Wow. Has it been that long? Mm-hmm. This thing is awful. If somebody out there buys one, I'd be curious to take a ride in it, but mm, not so much. So speaking of other random EVs and going back to our Dawn project and self-driving. Uh-oh. <laughs> Maybe there'll be a PSA on this too. But however, Amazon, and it's been going on for several years that they've been trying to do small little robo taxis, full self-driving, yada, yada. Apparently in whichever this sub branch of Amazon Zooks that it's called, it's developing these driverless taxis for use on the road. They have done it. Done what? They're on the road. These things don't have steering wheels, no controls, and they'll drive you around. Right now, they're only driving you around like a mile back and forth on campus. <laughs> Are they utilizing a tunnel under the road? No, I don't think so. It's kind of like a womp, womp moment where it's like, oh, cool, we did this. But it's like, well, they're getting closer, maybe. Not, not really. Yeah. They really just have like a beta test here with humans in the <laughs> Uh, Johnny Cab, Johnny Cab. And if it demolition man. If it works anything like their streaming service, I'm not convinced. I mean, that's where the future's going, so, you know. Not my future. The real question is, are they able to make the technology work cuz if they can beat, you know, who and actually have something that works reliably and doesn't mow down small children or animals. There's other variables at play at the other manufacturer cuz there's a whole tailspin going on there too, which we'll cover here in a little bit. Well, it's an interesting like these like a little robo taxi and i don't know like how big this thing is because there's been some other ones that like pizza hut or Domino's or like delivery services have been trying you got the canoe and the postal service is using oshkosh my gosh so canoe is still coming out they haven't gone under unlike some of the other ones you see there's a place for everything if you're at like a large distribution center maybe like an amazon or any other big manufacturing plant that would require people to like move from one end to the other at any point if you had like this little robo taxi one two-seater three-seater i mean that's a pretty efficient means of transporting your people around without having a lot of downtime and waste i don't know if it would work in the city streets of new york city yet which is likely the end goal for people but there could be applications where it could make sense i sometimes think moving sidewalks in new york city would be faster than taking a cab well there is a company that has moonwalkers i think they're called something like that it's like these bizarre roller skate bases that you you step into and it speeds up your walking why can't we just have the hoverboards like they promised us in back to the future get this it senses like your body motion so like if you pull back a little bit it like it'll slow down like that's how you stop but then i was like how the hell do you go up like stairs or downstairs with these things right you just bounce your way up no so what you do is when you approach the step and i forget which way is which but you click your heel out to like lock them and then you click your heel in to unlock them so imagine bicycles where you have clip-ons I'm just thinking like the number of people are going to like fall over at the top of a staircase with this. <laughs> so we digress. They can't all be Crocs. That's for sure. Don't give them any ideas. Healy Crocs. It's time to move on to Brad's favorite section, Lost and Found. Mm-hmm. Did you tally up how many Dodge Dart we found over the course of season three? 
That's an important statistic for our listeners. I believe it's zero, but if there is a joke in there for the longest running car not sold, there is a 1988 Cadillac DeVille base still for sale at Gray Chevrolet. Oh my God. Somebody buy this thing, please, and report back. We would love to have you on the show. The Ford GT is still out there, and then there's a brand new... 2008 scion xb scion is not a company anymore but you can still buy a brand new scion xb for forty eight hundred dollars at vw of clarksville you can buy a toyota at a volkswagen dealer that's brilliant and obviously the joke is that these dealers they put so many cars on these websites they don't pay attention new use whatever so it's definitely not a new vehicle but also i was looking at bring a trailer oh uh, trying to see what's going our favorite outrageously priced shopping place yes right now Current bid ends in 15 hours. A 37-mile 2021 McLaren Elva, Ooh. which is a car I didn't even know existed. Right. Current bid is $1.6 million. Ooh, I'll get two. But if that doesn't tickle your fancy, also closing in 15 hours, a 1993 Volkswagen Corrado SLC VR6 5-speed. That just went up in value because no more VR6s exist. The current bid is 70 $7,600. You know, if it's in really good shape, actually not bad for a Corrado. It has to be in really good shape to be on Ring and Trailer. So Now, the disappointing part about the Corrado is, and believe me, I'm a fan, so I can throw shade, and we've owned one of these cars, is everything that isn't the body. <laughs> Because it's a Mark II underneath. It's a 12 LVR6. The gearbox is whatever. The, with the stupid seat belts, the very 90s interior. I mean, it is a cool car for a period. I wouldn't throw one away if somebody gave one to me. But you're faced with all those early 90s Volkswagen stuff. The other problem with the Corrado is it's super specific. Everything about that car is for that car. There is some interchangeability with other stuff, but whatever. The, the bigger point here, $7,600. I actually feel like the values come down because Corrados were almost untouchable at one point for less than five figures. And to see one under that, low mileage in great condition, that's a steal. Grab that thing. Get your checkbook ready. 2004 Volkswagen R32. <sighs> Bidding ends in 15 hours. Current bid is $11,000. That's really low. Well, it's it's not stock modded. It's got a Magnaflow exhaust, the aftermarket intake, Alcantara headliner, KW variant, three coilovers, 18-inch BBS wheels. So it's got some tasteful mods done. We have a barn find in the mix too, right? For our resident car enthusiast, car flipper, Andrew Bank, have we got a car for you. 1967 Chevrolet Corvette. 67 custom stingray that is the title no that is not the title of this car it literally says quote the boomer special that's what the meme says but the craigslist ad says 67 chevrolet corvette 67 custom stingray 67 67 67 it has 6700 miles 6700 miles on a 67 body on a 2010 chassis this thing looks terrible looks disgusting i mean it's supposed to be a c2 but the roof line is completely wrong because the roof line is c6 right and the worst part is despite the way it looks is the cost i mean i get it it's modded it's custom it's this it's that blah 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 if it suits your fancy fine but one hundred twenty-five thousand. no low balls i know what i have but on the other side of that there was a 79 firebird trans am that showed up in a barn find it only has 37 original miles on it. it's up for auction yep 
It is up for auction. Beautiful car. Mountain Man Dan found for you this month your next race car, Brad. What's that? Danica Patrick's old ARCA car. You know, if I ever get back into tracking like I used to, maybe when the kid gets older, I could see picking up something like this. Although I wouldn't do a car. I'd probably do one of those Craftsman Series pickup trucks. Yeah, those are pretty slick. Wow, this thing sold for $5,000. That's cheap, right? This is back in her GoDaddy days. Oh, because there's no motor. It's just the chassis. I mean, you can pick up a motor for like 200 bucks. Come on. It's no, just a motor, 350. No trans. Yeah. I mean, that's cheap stuff though. Still. Now, like we've done throughout various drive-through episodes this season, we have yet another candidate for our uncool wall. I don't know. Err, muggered. Is that actually how it came or someone just retrofitted a tarp on the back of it? No. Don Weberg sent us this one as a candidate this month. Month. It is a 1978 Pontiac Phoenix with the camping package. Cool. Going back to our friends in the Aztec community, it looks like the Aztec was not the first Pontiac with a <laughs> add-on camping package for their vehicle. But what boggles my mind is how you access this. It's considered a hatchback. Liftback. Bet this thing is like 150 feet long. <laughs> It used to be a four-door, and they turned it into a two-door hatchback, so it's 11 million feet long. The Phoenix was available as a two-door coupe, a four-door sedan, with a three-door hatchback that was available in 1978. All on the same chassis, so there you go. It's huge. So they literally just took the rear doors off and then put a tent on the trunk lid. This is Aztec-level engineering. And the tent is secured by pulling the bungee cord into the door... And shutting the door on it, apparently. I mean, how do you think the Aztec one works? It's the same stuff. It's actually not terrible looking. It's terrible in that color. The although... two doors not bad. It's like a bigger version of the Citation X11 and the, all those cars from that era. They all sort of look the same. Before we move on from Lost and Found, I don't know if you all saw Doug DeMuro started his own trading site, his own auction site called Cars and Bids. Yeah, that's been for a while now. Yeah, well, he just got a multi-million dollar cash investment from some firm that I saw on one of his posts on Instagram or something. Good for him. So what are we doing wrong? Well. <laughs> we're not selling cars, that's it. No, you had to have started on YouTube when you were like five years old. And then, you know, just... <laughs> We would be remiss. Oh, is it that time again? It is that time again. Do we have any Tesla news? Or is it just Elon Musk news? Do we have to separate now after 31 episodes? Yeah, Tesla doesn't exist anymore. It's just Elon Musk. It's just the Elon Musk circus. Twitter still sucks. There's no Cybertruck. Those are the highlights. Yeah. <laughs> Next, in seriousness, though, didn't use Twitter before. I'm sure as hell not going to use it now. Well, even less people are going to be using Twitter soon because now they're going to start charging for API integration, which means everybody that was, let's say, orchestrating or automating anything with Twitter, dead. All that stuff's gone. Really? Yep. Oh, I hadn't heard that. Yeah. I don't know what he's going to do when he fires everybody, keeps firing the engineers and the people doing the work <laughs> is he willy wonka like he just comes down to the door fired and out you <laughs> i don't know because the latest firing was like employee mentions how the polling results say that you're unfavorable and he's like you're fired don't know if that's how it really went down but sounds like a simpsons mr burns thing like i <laughs> 
Oh, get it. In that vein, they've literally like just announced engineering headquarters is moving from Austin. Wait, wait, hold on. Didn't pump the brakes a second? Didn't they just get there? They just displaced like tens of thousands of people. Yeah. Well, isn't isn't it kind of expensive to move your headquarters? Not only did they just displace a bunch of people in 2021 in the middle of the pandemic, they also gave people an ultimatum after they went to fully remote work where it was like, you're going to show up in Austin in the next two days or you're fired. So there's a theme. And now they're moving the engineering headquarters back to Palo Alto, California. California. Yes. California. And people say this guy is a business mastermind. Tesla is going to be the company to rule them all with stuff like this. Seriously? It makes you scratch your head. I don't think the true answer of why this is happening has been revealed. Is it all part of the master plan? Well, well, here's the thing. One source or whatever is questioning, is it because we're moving it so he's now closer to Twitter? But then this whole Twitter thing, he's like, I'm going to find a new CEO by the end of 2023. Like, blah, blah, blah. Like, are you really? You said that two weeks after you took it over that you were going to replace yourself and you still haven't. So I don't know. Like, why are you moving back and forth, back and forth? You just built this whole Giga Austin corporate headquarters, I think, is still going to stay there. But everyone in engineering is going to go to Palo Alto, which because we want to be back in the tech Silicon Valley, California version. Womp womp. That's what I'm going to say about that. Womp. But maybe we'll learn more about the reasoning and the rationale on March 1st at the Tesla Investors Day, where he will unveil his part three to his master plan. Is he going to do it with like a mini version of himself next to him? Well, the way he's spending money, it's like, who needs billions? When you could have millions. (laughs) Who is the CEO of WeatherTech? Who is the CEO of any number of successful companies? We have no idea who these people's names are, yet their companies are still massively and wildly successful. Did he just go to Mars, please? Just hop on one of his stupid little SpaceX penis missiles and go to Mars. I'm so sick of this tool. Give me back my hundred dollars for my cyber <laughs> That's what you're really bitter <laughs> yeah, about. There it is. There it is. The promises, the bait, the bait ah, and switch. All that Dogecoin. At the earliest, we might see reports are saying the cyber truck at the end of this year. At the earliest, but probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I love those headlines. Tesla will be out of business and they'll still be promising people that cyber trucks are coming. I mean, come on. The, the cyber truck is becoming the new Chinese democracy album from Guns N' Roses. It's coming. It's coming. Didn't it come out like 20 years later? It did eventually come. Yeah, you're oh, right. It did. It did. Because everyone's speculating that the production level model will unveil. And well, there's one really crappy video that someone took. Of, I guess, a Cybertruck running through Austin. Is it the one with the mirrors or without the mirrors? Got the mirrors on it, baby. Does it have the lasers? Big side mirrors. And I also noticed something as this person was filming on, like, freaking Nokia flip phone from I don't know when. It's like the NASA videos, right? We have these high-intensity, high-definition cameras, and every picture of the moon is grainy as all get out, like it was taken in 1986. I don't know what camera this was. Really bad. They were taken in 86. They just are just now getting back to us. (laughs) But what 
struck me as it was like Cybertruck was passing in front of this person, the reflections in the side panel. I was like, what kind of glare blinding in your eyes is this thing going to do on the road on a sunny day? Were the panels straight? No. <laughs> the sheet metal from Home Depot is not very straight. You got to like really bang it out and, and everything to get it nice and perfect. So I'll say this to its credit, if it's stainless, like the DeLoreans were back in the day, it's actually not that bad in the sun. It won't completely blind you. <laughs> it is very noticeable, not. but yeah, I, I don't but know. But the De- DeLoreans didn't have giant sides for the no, sun they're to like reflect 10 off foot of. Tall. It was very <laughs> angular and kind of more, it makes sense that the DeLorean wouldn't. This thing is just a giant skyscraper and if anybody's driven through a city on a nice sunny day i mean all those windows and everything you're blinded you can't drive through the city you're going to hit the pedestrians with your fully autonomous car or not because you can't see and the cyber truck is the size of the empire state building it's going to do the same thing it is very very but with lasers let me lower your expectation fully and haven't even gotten there yet so they're expecting to see the latest version rolled out at the investors day march 1st the thoughts are there'll be several tweaks to it don't know yet about if a windshield wiper is getting put on there or not or if it's lasers but the sides will be boxier how is that even possible thank you that was my first reaction i was like how do you make a box more square cardboard ikea proves that every week with everything they make so i guess it's doable you know it's gonna have so many changes they're gonna roll it out and it's gonna be a silverado with a tesla badge gonna roll out it's gonna look like an f-150 lightning Here it is. Here's the Cybertruck. Thank you, Ford, for doing all the work for us. You're going to have a Model Y front end. It's just going to be a pickup truck. Yeah, it's going to have that platypus front end. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be duct taped on because you can get the duct tape pretty cheap at Home Depot. Quack, quack. (laughs) Buy two, get one free rolls. That's terrible. I mean, that thoroughly lowered my expectations. Lowered expectations. We've gotten there. And you know what? I'm going to finally grind this one into the ground. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Last month, there was all the speculation about Jeremy Clarkson's latest childish temper tantrum. And we said, well, it's about time that we close the chapter on this. And you know, all the excuses aside, I feel like the drama, it sort of played out similarly to the way it did on Top Gear. It got old. And so we had to create this thing. And then Jeremy Clarkson and team left Top Gear and did the Grand Tour. And the Grand Tour, a bunch of drama and we punched people in the face and then we canceled the show and we went to the long format movies. And now because the movies are sucking, we're going to create some more drama and we're finally canceled for real this time. Amazon has said, we're done. It's it. It's over. We are now in the post Top Gear era, which whatever. I thought we were already there like 10 years ago. But did it say anything about some of the offshoots, some of the other shows not related to Top Gear, like Clarkson's Farm and stuff like that? Because season two just came out. Yeah, but that was already filmed a while ago. And I think with his latest just idiocy, there's been threats about canceling Clarkson's Farm as well. So we'll see how that goes. I mean, he's doing nothing but pissing off his neighbors. That's for sure. If you watch the show, I mean, it's entertaining enough. Well, the first season was really good, but it wasn't about him just making his neighbors mad it was him about actually trying to learn how to farm i guess now that he's done that i don't see that lasting very long yeah or it's, long it's, term it's not it's yeah. not like a top gear thing it's like all right cool two seasons max so see, mm. season two is done and a third yeah. but you're stretching it what's yeah. he gonna do right true he's gonna retire 
credit where credit's due. He's getting up there in age. They all are. It's like, fine, bow out gracefully. You could have gone out on a high note when they exited Top Gear. Because I think some of that whole publicity stunt was staged to bring in a new crew and all that kind of stuff. I mean, whatever. Maybe he is a megalomaniac. I don't know. But I'd like to believe, maybe not, maybe a little bit. There's a little bit of a human in there. I don't know. My point is, okay, I'm just glad. I don't have to hear about it again. So who's a worse human at this point? Jeremy Clarkson or Elon Musk? Both of them are basically man children. So. But Jeremy Clarkson just has a big mouth and doesn't know when to shut up. But Elon Musk actually believes the shit that he says. I feel like we're watching Boiler Room every time <laughs> we talk about Tesla news. Right? <laughs> I just... Damn. We're watching fucking Wolf of Wall Street. (laughs) Right? Moving on. This next one speaks to also why I think the days of dealerships are over with. Apparently, a dealership made a woman right in front of them that was, you know, buying a car, filling up paperwork, basically prove that she was a human. Can confirm this happened to me when I bought my Tundra. No. Swear to God. They had the little electronic things like, we have to make everybody do this. Just sign. You are not a robot. That's insane. I'm right here in front of you. I am not a robot. I can't even do the robot. I am not a robot. They're just preparing us for the future of androids. Or the cybercrime that will ensue when you can order your car online and somebody has your identity and your credit card and suddenly, yeah. They just bought a $150,000 Hyundai. (laughs) I mean, if that showed up and I didn't have to pay for it, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Drive it around the block once or twice and then... (laughs) How many different screens the CAPTCHA you would have to go through to buy a car online? (laughs) Oh, I just realized something. What if it was like Amazon's return policy and it showed up and you said you didn't actually order this and so they said keep it and they refunded you the money? No, they would never do it on that such a big purchase. Seen weirder things happen with Amazon. And then some of the cheapest things, you're like, gotta go through hoops to return it. Another thing that I don't understand, and we know it's become sort of an epidemic in the car community, and maybe this is why we need to move to EVs, which is catalytic converters being stolen from vehicles. You know, you hear these stories about guys sliding underneath trucks, cutting them off with the Sawzall. They're in and out of there in, you know, 90 seconds, and, you know, they're turning in catalytic converters for, you know, whatever they're worth in precious metals. But I gotta say, you gotta be pretty ballsy to steal the catalytic converter off the Oscar Mayer Wiener Mobile. I mean, who does that? A delinquent. <laughs> <laughs> who does that? It was Vegas. And what happens in Vegas apparently gets sold on the black market. <laughs> Apparently, if it's a catalytic converter, it doesn't stay in Vegas. I want to know how big the catalytic converter is on the Oscar Mayer window build, because that thing is huge. I was wondering. I think it's just like a school bus or something. So it's whatever the catalytic converter would look like on a school bus. Big. It's worth a lot of money. They fitted the truck or the wiener with a temporary cat. So in November, the FBI in Las Vegas arrested two men on charges of conspiracy to commit interstate transportation of stolen property in the resale of 71 catalytic converters for more than $16,000. That's good money. I think I found my new side job. $225 a catalytic converter? Is that good money? Is that a good use of your time? It is for 90 seconds with a Sawzall. I mean, the blades don't cost a whole lot. I guess. I mean, if you're highly sophisticated, you got a creeper so you can roll out under the car, roll out the other side with your catalytic converter. Who are you, Slender Man? Or are we rolling under like- a, Have you a... seen these trucks? 
They're stealing them for pickups. You can get under there and do all sorts of stuff without getting them off the ground. All right. If it's a truck, sure. But there's been plenty like Hondas that have had their catalytic converters taken out. Somebody come take the catalytic converters out of my car, please. So I can, <laughs> so I can get insurance <laughs> to pay the $5,000 or whatever it costs to put in new ones. Straight pipe it. Well, you know what else is crazy? Our favorite rental company, Hertz. Well, maybe not our favorite. Because it usually hurts my wallet to rent from them. They have to pay false arrest claims. So this is them renting a car to someone and then thinking that that person stole it? Huh? Top quality service. So they were using the same computer system the Southwest uses. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I was going to say, when did Elon Musk become CEO of Hertz? Well, didn't they have a relationship with Tesla? They are buying a bunch of Teslas. So he clearly has a hand in this. And you're fired. You're fired. You're fired. You brought the car back. You're fired. It's like an episode of The Apprentice. NASA employees operating government-rented vehicles were some of the victims by Hertz. See? I'm telling you, collusion! SpaceX conspiracy. You can't get to work. Yes. Telling you, Elon Musk is the devil. Well, there you have it. Well, you know what? They say the devil goes down to Georgia. But in our case, we're going to a little further south and talk about alligators and bear. You know what? We're going to start up north. We're going to start in Michigan. This is a cute one. It's called, Holy Cow, Michigan Man Rides Cow Across Woodward. Meaning like a street. Oh, Woodward not, Avenue. not Dave Woodward? No, no. <laughs> no, Will the Cowboy and his pet heifer Hope were caught crossing the intersection together <laughs> on cowback. <laughs> who was riding who? <laughs> Why did the cow cross the road? To get away from his owner. In fairness, I believe he works for like a farm that does sort of like petting zoo type stuff. So he was actually trying to train the cow. Heavy petting. <laughs> to be rideable. I'm, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe that's what he was doing. <laughs> to be what? I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> i love hearing the headlines before i click into the article this is my new favorite game <laughs> oh my God. so that was a little bit of light-hearted humor so now we can take a trip down south to florida man where this one <laughs> is <laughs> this one's a public safety announcement you know don't do drugs We've been fighting that war since the Bush administration. You know, don't drink and drive. Don't do drugs and drive. And don't do so many drugs that you drive through a cemetery mowing all the tombstones, (laughs) headstones, and then exit the cemetery and drive into somebody's house. Wasn't that a scene in like Evil Dead? Like, I feel like this is like a Bruce Campbell film. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Driving to Delta 88 through a cemetery, knocking over tombstones. So what? Florida man drove through cemetery, damaged headstones, crashed into house. That's the best part. Was it the Undertaker's house? (laughs) I don't know, but he cleared the cemetery, crossed the street, went through a fence, and then into somebody's house. You hear the owner of the house thought the neighbors were quiet. I want to know what he was driving. He mowed down some cement blocks. It was a 78 Pontiac Phoenix liftback. Went through a fence and wasn't stopped till he went into a house. It was a Kia Telluride AX4 Pro. You know whatever. what it was? That person's driveway was on his GPS and it said <laughs> it was a road through the cemetery. <laughs> 
Meanwhile, the Necrocomicon was on his back seat, but we'll leave that for another episode. Meanwhile, he stole that car, so it wasn't even his. So we're going to stay in Florida. I couldn't decide who was better, Florida man or the Washington woman. Oh, boy. But since we're in Florida, let's stay in Florida. This reminds me of our early drive-through episodes and the lady that set her boyfriend's Jeep on fire. With the Wiccan. Yeah, I'm having having flashbacks. (laughs) So Florida man doing donuts at intersection allegedly hits patrol car before crashing his own car. Two questions. Cars and coffee. Tesla. Mustang? (laughs) No, this appears, at least by the photo, to have been late at night. He was found driving recklessly ahead of this, drove over a raised median, went into a slide. I don't know, at some point then I guess said, F it, let's do donuts. (laughs) In his Chrysler Sebring. It actually says he, he got stopped and then he reversed, backed into the police car. So he knew it was there. While he yells out the window, I drive a Dodge Stratus. I don't know. I'm thinking he was driving this pickup truck. It's a Dodge Ram. Wow. He rammed it. Yeah. So he hits patrol car before crashing his own. It's a little confusing, the order of operations. Yeah, wouldn't hitting the patrol car constitute a crash? It was rubbing because he was drifting. His rubbing was racing. I didn't even think they said he was under the influence of anything, so go figure. He was under the influence of Florida. He was hooning. It's called hooning. <laughs> so I don't know what to do with this last one. I think it takes the cake. It's not. I don't know if it's as good as as casting a spell on your boyfriend's car and lighting it on fire <laughs> with candles. But passenger of suspected DUI driver calls nine one one on the Washington State Patrol. Wait, what? The driver argued her constitutional rights were being violated by the pursuit. So a drunk driver is driving a car and they're being pursued by the state patrol and they call the police on the police that their constitutional rights were being violated. That's a bold strategy. Like they're they're calling to say they're being harassed by the police. <laughs> but they call Man, the you're, police. You're driving illegally. How do you know that? You don't know that I'm drunk. I may be driving on the wrong side of the road, <laughs> sideways, with a kid hanging out the back, but you don't know that I'm drunk. It's like that tater salad joke, right? I wasn't drunk in public until you, you put me, put me there. Public. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want to hear the 911 recording of that. Like, that's got to be absolutely insane. It's got to be because this person was in an F-150 doing like over 100 miles an hour. They can go that fast? Apparently. Weaving in and out and stuff. And this is like at midnight 30. And then the other passengers called the cops on the cops because they thought the law had changed that the cops can't pursue you anymore at high speed. 911, what's your emergency? Yes, I'm being followed. My driver's uh, under the influence. He's had a couple of 10 beers and uh, the cops are after us. But it's just like the sound rules. Uh, you can't make noise after 10 o'clock and the cops can't chase you after 80 miles an hour. Like, what the hell is that? Well, there has been some of that, right? Yeah, the police aren't allowed. In some cases, they're not allowed to enter into a high They should really chase. back off because all it does is endanger the officers and other people if they go on these crazy high-speed pursuits. But... There's caveats to this. It's like when we know you're driving drunk, we follow you. <laughs> it's like need for speed hot pursuit. You, you don't get a free pass. We deploy the spike strips on you. You know what I learned from this article? When you said the truck 
did 100 miles an hour. It proves a very important point that sometimes you need to haul lumber and haul ass truck life. Ass, gas, or grass. Don't be that person either. Public safety announcement. Well, folks, it's time we go behind the pit wall for some motorsports news. This next one is actually really interesting because we saw this car in person while we were at Rolex, and that's the Hendrick-built and sponsored Garage 56 Le Mans Camaro. This car is going to do NASCAR and the 24 Hours of Le Mans. I think this is super cool. And entering a Camaro in the GT class, interesting to see how it all plays out in June. I think it's cool. I can't wait to see it race at Le Mans. And last month, we also spoke about Travis Pastrana returning to NASCAR. And I'm sure a lot of people were probably thinking, who, what, where? I mean, you know, he's took over doing tricks and whatnot for Subaru and, you know, Global Rallycross and all that kind of stuff a while ago. But we have some results information for you. And I'm happy to report that Travis did a lot better than probably any of us expected. He ended up 14th in this month's Daytona 500. I guess he did better than Kimmy, right? Who didn't finish. <laughs> he never made it to the 500. That's true. I meant just at a NASCAR race in general. Yeah, not so good, Kimmy. Try again. Let's talk about open wheel racing. So where are we at in Formula One? We are just a few short days away from the season opener in Bahrain on March 5th. Preseason testing is about to start. Formula One's kicking off, but... Like every year, we have to have the big reveal, the cars, oh my god! So many memes. I have to agree with Eric. This year is a little different, but in years past, yes, the reveals of the new liveries, I would get so excited just to see the McLaren that looked exactly like the McLaren from other McLarens. But stickers, brah, stickers. This year's reveals were actually quite a bit dramatic. The Mercedes car went back to black, you know, cue the Amy Winehouse song, you know, that everybody's playing everywhere and all their memes. The Mercedes looks amazing, though. I really like it. I'm team. You know why they did that? Because that was the last time you won. No, because apparently it saved them grams of weight. Yeah, I heard that, too. So they did it as a weight savings to just like flat black or whatever. Raw carbon fiber or whatever. Yeah, Yeah. that's fine. So that's some Mercedes trickery there. So they'll get penalized for that. I don't think there's a rule that says you have to paint your But like I watched the Ferrari reveal and I watched these two guys doing their podcast. So that told you nothing. That was like fanboys salivating over the Ferrari, which honestly, I think I liked last year's better. I think the red was nicer. I liked that it was all red. I'm not a fan of how they like splotched black chunks. Not even accents. It looks more like the Alan Prost, Nigel Mansell era of Ferraris. They were a darker red. Oh, they put Ferrari on the spoiler and the spoiler is black. And I'm like, yeah, all that stuff existed like 40 years ago. Okay, big deal. To me, I couldn't tell the difference between the previous car and this car. And If you look at the two cars side by side, there's a lot of differences, actually. The front nose end cap is shaped differently. The wing on the front nose actually extends further from the nose itself the side pods are very different how they're channeling the air how they're venting the air all that stuff i think the wing looks slightly different the louvers all on the sides are flowing the air differently so they made a lot of engineering changes to hopefully make a better performing handling car yeah they appear very subtle 
uh, I guess. To, if you just saw it by that. itself, you yeah. go, How okay, it's a different paint job on the same car. But if you look at them side by side in the same front view, side view, top view. Quite a bit different. There's a lot of changes. Yeah, it looks like the wing is smaller too. It's narrower. Like they were on the old cars. In the old days, they had those skinny boxy wings. It's, it's So what's old is new again in some respects. I mean, whatever. And next year it'll be something else. The different you know, shade of red or, or whatever. Yeah, that's what happens. But there's some other news. Lance Stroll is out. Well, he's out of preseason testing, apparently had a bicycling accident. He's a reserve driver is now at the helm, Felipe Drogovic. Mm. Do we have high expectations for him? I have no idea, honestly. But he's about to have a job interview, so he better do well. Yeah, right. <laughs> so there's been a lot of other rumors flying around the F1 paddock in the last month. And that has to do with a four-letter word. It's not a rumor. It's been announced. I know. But there's other rumors that go on along with the announcement because there were rumors before, then they were announced, and there's rumors again. And we're talking about Ford, F-O-R-D, Ford, returning to Formula One. And the first question I have is they just lost $2 billion in passenger sales. How the hell are they going to afford to run in Formula One? This is where it went. <laughs> ah, oh, got it. Okay, done. So I'm seeing things like partnerships with Red Bull. Ford is supplying the power plants like they used to do back in the, you know, the 60s and 70s for like Lotus and stuff like that. So it's not the first time Ford has been in this level of racing in the past. Good to see them come back with everything else that's going on. I'm just a little curious. Maybe we'll have another rich energy fiasco. Ooh. And then it'll give Elizabeth Blackstock and Alanis King an opportunity to write another book. The Ford saga. Yes. Fixer Repair Daily. Speaking of sagas, Hollywood is dipping their toe in the pool. Talked about this before because I believe it is still untitled. It is Brad Pitt's new venture of this Formula One movie. Nobody knows exactly what this is going to be. And then he's working with Lewis Hamilton in terms of directing, producing. Apparently he's been listening to the auditions of whoever is going to be Brad Pitt's co-star. Shooting is supposed to start later this year for whatever this Formula One drama movie is. It's called Drive to Survive. And it'll be out on Netflix. Apparently, they are going to be taking footage live at race weekend. So maybe it's the <laughs> traumatization. <laughs> maybe. It's just driven. It's just the movie driven again. Probably. Seems silly to take live footage at a race when live footage is already being recorded for you. Depends what footage they're trying to take. But also, if you're bringing your actors in to, like, stand in the garage while nothing's going on kind of thing, right? Mm. It wouldn't be the same footage. They also need to get footage of the cars shifting gears 15 times. <laughs> yes. With a stick shift in this case. With a stick shift, yes. Yeah. Like all American drama movies, you have an obligatory toilet scene, and that is not usually recorded during the live broadcast, so they'll have that too, right? Yes. You brought up Drive to Survive, and I swear to God, Netflix is taunting me every time I log on. It's the first thing I see is a reminder for Drive to Survive, which kicks off February 24th. I'm going to coordinate with your wife, and you're just going to walk into the room one day, and it's going to be on, and you can't do it. We're going to o'clock work orange you. No. Not going to do it. Not going to happen. Meanwhile, in open wheel news, our last little bit here, Tony Kanan is finally retiring from IndyCar. 
that's great. Doesn't mean he gives up his seat in any of the other racing series he's in, like IMSA or WEC or anywhere else. He's got a seat. Yeah, it's like, okay. Whoopie-doo. It's not like we're never going to see you again. He's retiring from IndyCar so he can do more of the esports that he's been doing. High <laughs> racing champion, Tony Kanan. It pays better, I guess. <laughs> yeah, right? It's that monster energy sponsorship there. But speaking of energy drink sponsorships, let's switch over to Red Bull TV and talk about WRC news. Now, if you want to skip all this, go right ahead. But here's the brief. Just like Rolex is the kickoff to the season and and the Daytona 500 and all that, Rally Monte Carlo kicks off the 13 event schedule in the WRC series. And they've added two new races this year for anybody that's really interested. Rally Chile. And they returned to Mexico as well, but they've also added Rally EU, which will be held in Germany. I enjoy watching the recaps on Red Bull because it's an easy way to digest the race. Because otherwise, if you try to watch it in real time, it would be absolutely mental. It takes four days and, you know, usually it's like 18 to 20 stages. Rally Monte Carlo was won by Sebastian Ogier. This makes him the most winningest rally driver in Monte Carlo rally history. He was so excited. He didn't even show up for rally Sweden, which was the next event two weeks later. But overall, the whole race was pretty interesting. There's a lot of back and forth between some of the old timers who I think might be on the edge of actually needing to get out of WRC and making way for folks like Elvin Evans and Oit Tanek. The end result of Rally Monte Carlo was that Toyota took a 1-2 right out of the gate, which was pretty awesome for the madman of WRC, Yari Mati Latvala, who is now a team owner you know, principal, as they call them in Formula One, for Gazoo Racing Toyota. So that's pretty awesome. Not a lot of snow this year in Monte Carlo, because as we've seen even here in the United States, it's been a pretty mild winter. So Europe, the same thing. A lot of tarmac that they were running on. So that made running Monte Carlo very different than usual. And the other thing that was pretty cool is we saw the debut of the new Ford Puma put out there by teams like M Sport and so on. They're having issues with the car. The drivers are trying to learn it. It's a different chassis, obviously, than the Fiesta that it replaces. And Hyundai was also having problems with their new hybrid system. All the rally cars this year are actually hybrids and turbocharged. It makes for an interesting power delivery system in the race cars. If anybody watches Monte Carlo, I think Elvin Evans is hilarious to watch. He is so hyper-focused on everything he does. He leans forward like he's playing a video game when he's driving and he has this look of complete terror and bewilderment all at the same time. It's super comical when you watch the in-car view. And unfortunately, the support races like WRC2 and WRC3, they don't get as much airtime as the WRC1, the big guys, the pros do. But in WRC2 right now, Skoda, aka Volkswagen, is kicking ass with their new car and there are some American drivers in WRC too. So I'll be keeping an eye out for them and checking out their progress because it's been a long time since we've had Americans running in WRC. So that's pretty cool to see. Now, I know, Brad, you took some time to engage in WRC in the last couple of weeks. So you caught up on Sweden, didn't you? I did. I don't know exactly what I watched. Um, it was a <laughs> recap of some sort. <laughs> I have to agree that if you're a rally fan and you want to know what happened, yes, the recaps are fantastic because they do condense four days worth of racing and drama 
into a short like one hour episode of drive to survive what i don't like is i I, sometimes i just want to log in i don't care that i'm not going to see the whole thing i just want to see a rally stage from start to finish like i just want to see the driver like i just want to see the racing i don't know i feel like you miss a lot well it's sort of like watching an autocross though do you really want to watch every driver make a run because they are offset they are by themselves you know all that kind of stuff Yes, it's something about just watching because how long are the stages? They're super long. Like it takes all day. They run from sun up no, no, to no, sun down. No, no, no. But I mean, for, for I mean, for one driver, one run. How long is it? I didn't pay attention to the times. I got on the simulator after Sweden and ran some of the segments on my setup, and some of the stages are six minutes full bore because they're short. Some of the other ones, like a twenty-one kilometer section, which is like a longer power stage. You're on track for easily 10 to 15 minutes, if depending if you have any mess ups or things like that. So you're out there for quite a while. Yeah, I would totally watch a couple people making a complete run of the stage or whatever. I don't need to see the whole stage. Yeah. I don't need to see four days of rally. Yes, the recap would help me there. But just to, to see some action. I feel like the recaps don't show enough action. We're on different ends of the pendulum swing. I'm so used to watching it that I just want that bite size. Give me what I need so I can keep track of what's going on versus watching Esapeka Lappi do his full power stage run. Like I don't need 12 minutes of him driving. Just show me what he did and we'll kind of move on with life, right? Yeah, because I'm a new to rally. Yeah, you're learning. We've been talking about this for three seasons now. I'm trying to give it an actual legit chance i would do the same thing for nascar but i'm choosing to do it with rally right now yeah i want to give it a chance but it's just i don't see enough in the recaps to actually make me care so what i think would benefit you and maybe any of our listeners that are interested in exploring the world of rally is to check out another program they have on red bull tv it's about an hour long and they call it the abcs of rally and it actually walks you through the different sub-disciplines of rallies, there's WRC that, you know, we're talking about now, which is like sports car racing, right? Versus T1 Raid, which is like all the big trucks. And then there's Dakar and there's all these different types of rally from the buggies up through the cars and whatnot. So it's cool to like start with that and get your 101 down. And then once you've watched enough of how it works and you can always go back into the vault and watch the runs, but they're a little bit more raw. Again, having watched this for years, I like the condensed version. When you get to that stage, you're like, man, I watched all of Sunday in 37 minutes. I'm good because I didn't need to watch 18 hours of content to kind of figure out what was going on. Right. I do like that Red Bull this season has deliberately included content from the special stages, which are the two on two overlapping kind of road courses that they develop. You saw a lot of that in Sweden. It was totally iced over. It was really, really cool to see the cars go head to head. And if you kind of want a mind bender is try to follow the track and how it you know runs over itself and how the cars don't end up hitting each other. They're really running the same lap. It's a two-part lap. It's not like a, a pro solo where it's mirror image courses. They're on the same track at different points and they're chasing each other basically. So it's pretty cool. And I'm glad they're showing more of that because that used to be like bonus content that you had to go find versus now they're including that in the recap so that was pretty cool but so you watched sweden what'd you think i thought it was comical what was going on 
with Craig Breen and, and Deary Newville. Yeah. I thought that the last stage, what was it, stage 18? Yeah. Where where they, uh, Newville, he was fighting for points, you know, in the standings. Because yeah. he's what, he's like second or third, isn't he? Right. But it's only the second round of racing anyway. So it's I like... know, but but still, like, like they made like all kinds of like strategic changes. And then he still crashed out. Like he finished the stage, but he still backed into the snowdrift and slowed him down enough. And then his teammate beat him anyway. Well, here's the best part about all of that situation, which I love the fact that they actually brought this to light and they didn't cover it up. Formula One is not the only one with a bunch of politics kind of dictating the outcome of the race. It was all team orders. But the other thing is Thierry Neuville the whole time was just complaining about how much his I-20 was understeering, understeering. It won't turn. It won't do this, all this stuff. And he was just pitching a fit. Then I don't know if you paid close attention, but they forced them to switch cars. That was the bigger thing that Craig Breen got screwed. Yeah, so he did the same thing that Mazespin was trying to do to Schumacher. It was like, ah, you got the better car. Let's switch cars. I'll, I'll beat you in your car. Exactly. And then to your point, he still screwed it up. Yeah, he so still was it, it the car or was it the driver? Because Craig Breen was flying and he got his first stage win like ever. I mean, he's not a newbie either. He's been around for a couple of years. I've been keeping eyes on him. All the new guys, Oit Tannic, Esapekka Lappi, Elvin Evans, Craig Breen, all those guys. I mean, they're the up and comers in WRC right now. Obviously, they're running at the higher ranks. Terry Newville, multi-time champion, whatever. Not as many as Seb and some of those guys, but he's sort of the old dog in this fight. And so when they did the car switch and the team war, I was just like, this is ridiculous. And then when he couldn't pull it off you do uh, i mean even even in the last interview craig green had just finished his run and the and the, the reporter was there telling him what happened and he just kind of smirked and smiled. yeah it was, it was great really, i was it, loving it was it. awesome it was so good so so that was fun i could you're getting me interested and yeah. I, i'm seeing on here on our notes a quote from tanya and it actually makes a ton of sense so watching WRC is like watching the Olympics. I think that is 1000% true. You know, you need the recaps because right? there's just so much content yeah. to digest. You need the recaps. But still, sometimes when I watch the Olympics, I just want to log in and see. You want to watch the figure skating. Yeah, I know how it I goes. Yes, I want to see... The speed skating. There were two other things that came out of Sweden that I thought were pretty cool. And I hope you picked up on this. That rally is really volatile. Like one minute, a guy's eight seconds ahead going into a stage and suddenly he's 20 seconds behind. And the guy that was like in sixth place is suddenly first. It's really, really crazy. And that's why you got to hang on and sort of keep track until the end. And those last couple stages are important. Now the special stage versus the power stage, those are points games versus the overall time. So it gets a little complicated because kind of like IMSA and stuff, there's multiple races going on, right? Are you racing for points? Is it for manufacturer? Is it for personal? time you know all that kind of stuff so it becomes interesting but the other big thing about sweden was takamoto's rollover <laughs> that was bonkers and he's in the yaris he catches the back end and the thing goes ass over tea kettle like four times or whatever and then they're in the car and the snow comes in through the window the, it's the navigator just gets nailed right and then i love when he puts it in gear and he tries to take off and keep going, but he can't see. And the freaking cars turtle. I was like, it couldn't get more comical than that. That's rally right there. You just never know what's going to happen. 
the stage is constantly changing, especially in the, on a snow stage or something like that. I mean, every car that goes through there is on a completely different track than the car coming behind them. That bit Craig Breen in like stage 16 or whatever, because they did the reverse grid because he ended up winning the previous one. And then he was like at the back and he goes, I'm dealing with ruts that, you know, are up to the door and it's like it's, the car wouldn't do anything for him. I mean, he did the best he could, but that one was a, a stage they had already run. He's like, I got this and he had killed it. They ran it again and it was just like he couldn't do anything with it. So yeah. you start taking those times and you averaging them out and it gets really complicated from a scoring perspective, but it's what makes it exciting because it's not. Well, he was a tenth of a second off of his last lap, right? It's super variable. No, yeah, every, everything changes then. That's why they need 18 stages. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I can totally see why you like rally because of all of the scoring. It's super complex. You totally nerd out on that shit, I'm sure. You know what else I nerd out on and talking about things that are constantly changing? Alfa Romeo, part of Stellantis, if we God, haven't forgotten. The car looks so good. Well, they're getting out of Formula One, as we talked about throughout season three, how Audi is going to take over the Sauber team, which Alfa Romeo currently heads up now. The interview given with the race director at Alfa Romeo is saying that they're going to take a gamble and head into endurance sports car racing. So you may see an Alfa Romeo at Le Mans in 2024 and beyond. I will totally root for this car. It's pretty sick looking. The Alfa grill is just something about it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's the Ferrari that's supposed to be out at Le Mans this year, rebadged and good for them. They get to keep the investment going in the car that they built because Alpha and Ferrari do share a lot. But I'm excited to see Alfa Romeo coming to the big stage. That'd be really, really cool. It's been a long time since there was an Alpha at Le Mans. Well, in other racing news from the virtual world. There's still no definitive release date for the latest installment of Forza Motorsport, which I wish they would just call Forza Motorsport 8 because whenever you search Forza Motorsport release date, you get the original Forza Motorsport. So you still have to like Google search Forza Motorsport 8 to find anything related to this latest installment. It alleges sometime this year. Before or after the Cybertruck? It's a race. Which one will be first? That's a good one. What comes out first? Cybertruck or Forza Motorsport? whatever it's becoming like gran turismo where it's like they promise a new one every year and then it takes 10 years for it to release meanwhile somebody else has come along and you know usurped all the popularity of that particular genre of game or whatever you know they definitely have not been advertising forza motorsport 8 until like the last two years like forza motorsport 7 didn't come out and they weren't like the next year like eight's coming there was silence We're still seeing effects of the pandemic. Well, the effect too is that it's going to cost $100 when it comes out and you're going to have to buy a new system to run it because it's only going to be available in the Series X or in your PC. I have one. Oh, lucky you. It's $100 anyway because if you want to get the VIP pass or whatever to get all the cars that come out in DLC months later, you need to pay for the ultimate version, which is $100 anyway. So that's nothing new. As we close out the show, we need to wrap up with all our local news and all that. So, Brad, what's on the docket? So for upcoming local news and events brought to us by CollectorCarGuide.net, the ultimate reference for car enthusiasts. So let's see what's coming up for March. Import Expo 23 is coming to the Washington Convention Center on March 12th. The Sugarloaf Mountain Region Swap Meet returns to the Westminster, Maryland Ag Center on March 24th and 25th. 
BMW CCA kicks off a series of autocross schools on March 25th. And the Mid-Atlantic Indoor Nationals, part of the Motorama series of events, will be in Philadelphia on March 25th and 26th. And tons more of events like this and all their details are available over at CollectorCarGuy.net. That's right. And it's time for the HBDJunkie.com trackside report. And as Dave promised, the database is full. It is the end of February. So you can figure out where everybody is and wants to be this track season on tracks all across North America. That's the U.S. and Canada at HBDJunkie.com. So here's some highlights and some interesting news from the trackside. Summit Point has brought back their off-roading. Links on motorsportreg.com right now where you can sign up for these off-road events and off-road courses, you know, run what you brung type of deal. This is not to be confused with SCC Rallycross or anything like that, which was brought back to Summit Point a couple of years ago now. Pretty cool that they're doing that. So now we have somewhere close to go off-roading. Obviously, there's other facilities out there like Roush Creek, et cetera, where you can do this sort of thing as well. But Summit Point joins them as a new facility to be able to go off-roading with your Jeep or whatever. The SCCA WDCR region is hosting its first combined time trial and HBD event of the year, and that is set at Summit Point as well on March 4th the 5th. The Audi Club Potomac-Chesapeake region has their first event of the season also at Summit Point. Hmm, I wonder that we got a theme here <laughs> on March 11th and 12th. Meanwhile, Charlie Stryker, a spoiler alert for season four, he's a guest on the show several times. He's from Max Track Time, and they kick off their schedule with their first event at Carolina Motorsports Park on March 20th and 21st. And you can get all the details about that at maxtracktime.com and get a pre-release of the episode we did with Charlie on their website as well. The second annual Death Trap event, <laughs> which is a free event for veterans and first responders, Saturday and Sunday, March the 5th, is going to be held at Carolina Motorsports Park. So come hang out at a great track with fellow veterans and first responders and enjoy an exciting session riding with veteran HPD drivers at speed. So those are always a lot of fun. That's like what we have here, Helmets Off to Heroes and other events through like Vet Motorsports, etc. that you can check out throughout the season. Also, as a thank you to everyone for being loyal supporters of Grand Touring Motorsports and fans of Break Fix Podcast in Season 3, Mike and Mona Arrigo from Hooked on Driving are offering a discount for the entire season of HPD events on their schedule. You can use code BREAKFIX23 to receive a discount on your event registration at checkout. So thank you all again for being loyal supporters of all our efforts and tune out through the year for more promotions from our sponsors like this one from Hooked on Driving. In case you missed out, check out the other podcast episodes that aired this month. We closed out season three with The Art of Chris Dunlop, a former Marylander who specialized in paint and bodywork for exotic and classic cars, now finds himself creating masterworks in the automotive and motorsports genre. We went behind the scenes at DeLorean Next Generation and the DeLorean Legacy Project with Kat DeLorean to talk about her new initiatives and the supercar built from love. Everyone has a story, yes, but each of your vehicles has one too. Learn why you should tag all the things with Katie and Paul from Autobio. Two more episodes launched from our IMRRC and SAH mini-series of motorsports history, both coinciding with the Daytona 500. The first is called Moonshine and its Connection to the Automotive Industry by Buzz McKim. And the second, The Queen City and the NASCAR Hall of Fame by Hannah Thompson. There's also a few pre-release episodes out there, such as The Green Grand Prix, Shipwrecked and Rescued, or Bob Gerritsen and the Apple 935. 
Learn more about how you can access these through our Facebook group, Discord, or Patreon. Thank you to all the guests that came on the show this month. We hope you enjoyed Season 3 of Break Fix, and if you're tuning in for the first time, you've only got 183 other episodes to catch up on. New episodes drop each week on Tuesday. And don't forget to sign up for our newsletter in the rear view or join us online to continue the conversation and share stories. We'll see you again next month when we kick off Season 4 of The drive Through. We don't have any new Patreons this month, but that doesn't mean we don't want more of them. So if you like what we're doing, like we've mentioned before, sign up today, patreon.com forward slash GT Motorsports. Every penny helps. We have all new plans and perks available. So check them out, review your current subscription, change tiers if you want to. But again, we want to thank you for all the support and all of it helps to keep us doing what we're doing. And for other shout outs, we've got a large list of anniversaries or this is a big milestone anniversary for a few of us crew chiefs brad and eric hey that's us executive producer tanya mountain man dan the guest that just keeps on coming back and portia al are all celebrating nine years with gtm sadly to say there would be one other person on this list unfortunately if he hadn't passed away last year matthew yip would have been celebrating nine years with gtm as well that is very very true If you'd like to become a member of GTM, be sure to check out the new Clubhouse website at club.gtmotorsports.org to learn more. And special thanks to the guest host. We didn't have a guest host this month, but if you would like to be a guest host, please reach out. We're always looking for new voices to help make the conversation better. And if you're funnier than us, you definitely got to come on this show. (laughs) Well, that's not hard for anybody. (laughs) We're not very funny at all. And of course, our co-host and executive producer, Tanya. Thank you. That's right. And for everything we talked about on this episode and more, be sure to check out the follow-on article and show notes available at gtmotorsports.org. And all the members who support GTM without you, none of this would be possible. Otro. (laughs) That is a wrap. 82 episodes in the bag. Can you believe it? And we finished right on time. After 31 drive-thrus, the tradition remains the same and what is that tanya you're never more prepared than when you're not prepared (laughs) (laughs) perfect we're getting better (laughs) never better never worse after these messages we'll be right back well here we are in the drive-through line me and her in front of us, cars in back of us, all just waiting to order. There's some idiot in a Volvo with his bright sun behind me. I lean out the window and scream, hey, what you trying to do blind me? My wife says maybe we should talk. If you like what you've heard and want to learn more about GTM, be sure to check us out on www.gtmotorsports.org. You can also find us on Instagram at Grand Touring Motorsports. Also, if you want to get involved or have suggestions for future shows, you can call or text us at 202-630-1770 or send us an email at crewchief at gtmotorsports.org. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, everybody. Crew Chief Eric here. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Break Fix, and we wanted to remind you that GTM remains a no annual fees organization, and our goal is to continue to bring you quality episodes like this one at no charge. As a loyal listener, please consider subscribing to our Patreon for bonus and behind-the-scenes content, extra goodies, and GTM swag. 
For as little as $2.50 a month, you can keep our developers, writers, editors, casters, and other volunteers fed on their strict diet of Fig Newtons, gummy bears, and Monster. Consider signing up for Patreon today at www.patreon.com forward slash GT Motorsports. And remember, without fans, supporters, and members like you, none of this would be possible. Thank <laughs> you.